snack time? Here we go. Blue Diamond's habanero barbecue flavored almonds. So tangy and zesty and oh, but there's also Blue Diamond's wasabi and soy sauce almonds, bringing that flavor with a kick. Okay, I'm having both. Blue Diamond almonds, super flavor, all on a super food. What we do around here. <clears throat> Let's see, who else am I missing here? D-Worm, the gorgeous Kira. Thank you for joining us. And, um, let's see here. Uncle Dale and his power stash are here. Remember, if you're in Austin, Texas, and you see Uncle Dale, rub his power stash for good luck right through July 4th. G. West, nice to have you here. And D. Cohen, thanks for coming on in. Penman, good to see you. Oob to Joe's Maine, you've got Lola. Yes, you do. And, um, I think we're caught up. I think we're caught up. Once again, the Super Chat is a wonderful way to support this show. Our store is open on our website if you want to pick up any SOR swag. And if you're a veteran tuning us on in, thank you for your service. You always have a safe home here in our chat room. Evan Walters, how you doing? Horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world, this, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram, spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website, spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We got a great show for you tonight. The team from Bedtime Stories has got up early in the UK to share some of their creepy encounters and stories that they have for us. Then, in hour number three, we will bring you a story from the swamp, courtesy of Swamp Dweller. Fedora John is back for the Cryptid Report. And Shirky Poo has the news. Here we go. Turn off the lights, get into bed, and plug in your earphones. It's time for a little creepy bedtime story. Yes, these gentlemen are Fortean at heart, and they cover anything that is even remotely strange. From the paranormal to the supernatural, unsolved mysteries, strange deaths, conspiracy theories, cryptids, and every alien in between. All told, it's in a unique and creepy way. As they post on YouTube, they're one of the biggest storytime channels out there. Almost 664,000 subscribers. We welcome in Simon, Rich, and Mikey from Bedtime Stories. And gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. I don't know where Mikey went. He was just here moments ago, but we'll get him back on. How you doing, guys? Thank you so much for coming on Spaced Out Radio. Yeah, we're all good. Thank you for having us. It's good to have you good here. Good morning. Good morning. And, you know, it, it's kind of weird because as we're broadcasting this, it's getting daylight over there. 
it's still daylight here in British Columbia. So I find that kind of interesting. One of the one of those miracles of nature. And uh, oh, Mikey's a little bit loud on his speaker there. Yeah, he's got his hair dryer going or something. I don't know what that is, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, let's start learning about you guys here, and you know. Bedtime Stories has been going since 2017 on YouTube, and you guys have really taken this storytelling to a whole different level, bringing in people uh, and their encounters and stories that you've found all over the world. Rich, let me know how this got started for you. Um, originally, it started as, a, as a, an idea that me and my, uh, my brother had. Uh, we were going to set up a website uh, many years back yeah, just... Uh, just uh, I gotta mute I that, you, Mikey. That on gotta mute you. Uh, go ahead, Rich. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, it started as an idea that me and my brother had. Just uh, I was going to write stories. He was an artist, so he he would have done the artwork for it, and we were just going to put those on a website. And uh, that didn't kind of pan out in the end. So uh, eventually, it just kind of evolved into an idea of, of putting it onto YouTube instead. And but, uh, my brother passed away in 2014, which is one of the reasons, you know, the, the original idea of having a website didn't go forward. Um, so I searched for an artist that could kind of replicate his style, found Mikey uh, through a freelancer site. And um, originally he was just going to do artwork for the thumbnails, I think. It, it wasn't um, it wasn't an initial idea to have the artwork running all the way through the episodes. Um, but that, that's what it kind of evolved into in the end, so... Yeah, that's that's basically how it started, and we uploaded our first video on January the thirtieth, twenty seventeen. Now, did you, when you put this together and decided to do this, Rich, did you ever think that it would come to a day where it would this would be like a career? No, <laughs> it, more than anything, it was um, it was just something I wanted to share with my friends, uh, and it just it just kind of snowballed from there. Well, let, let's bring in Simon here because he's got a, a fantastic beard and mustache combination, and we like that around here. You know, Simon, when, when we bring you in, you know, how did you feel about this whole idea of starting this this YouTube channel telling spooky stories? I was quite late to the party, to be honest. I was already a subscriber on the channel. It had been going for about 18 months, two years when I came along, and Rich held a bit of a, a talent contest. He was looking for a writer, and I'm by no means professional or trained, but I uh, I applied and put my script in, and, and I wasn't successful. I think he told me I came third or fourth out of the candidates he had. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I hung in there. I kept going, uh, and here I am two years later. Um, so I, I was just quite honest, to be honest. That the I think this is something you touched on when you speak to us earlier, the international nature of it. Finding out stories like Yuba City, for example, just, just really, it was like catnip for me. It hooked me. So they have to be able to research those and then write scripts for them. I, I, I love it. It's great. Now, when you got started in this and started writing these stories, how did you guys manifest this channel? Rich, I'm sure i got to start with you on this one, but did you manifest it this way or did it form this way over time when you saw what the people like? Um, it manifested this way, to be honest. Um, the idea that we had originally is still very much essentially what we've got now. So um, it's it's just a matter of telling stories interspersed with um, nice artwork to kind of depict the scenes. And nothing much has changed, really. I mean, we've up, we've upped our game a little bit with uh, added animations and parallax uh, kind of um, images to give it more depth. But, um, yeah, the, the initial idea is still... 
very much the same. So, yeah. Simon, what do you think the the appetite is for people who are attracted to these kinds of stories? Because I got to admit, I go to bed listening to these types of stories each and every night after this show, and uh, I just love it. I I love the fact that I can go to bed, listen to some creepy personal encounters that people are having in this beautiful world of ours because there's so many mysteries out there. Certainly when I've been researching topics, we we cover stories from all over the world. Uh, And one of the pushes that Rich has is that we don't just do UK-based ones, we don't just do US ones, we go everywhere. And I think one of the things I've noticed is that you find some commonalities we did an episode uh, called America's Vampires, which was looking at vampire stories from the US. And when you actually start looking at the idea of vampires, they're everywhere. Pretty much every culture has some sort of uh, story revolving around a, a demon that, that drinks blood, or an undead person or a disease. And I think that's one of the things that pulls people in, that there's these commonalities worldwide, uh, like the night hag, uh, vampires, succubus, um, and no, that's the scary thing. If you look at something, for example, like the Sasquatch, that's a North America-based law. But then when you go to some other things and find out that on every country in the world, on every continent, there are stories like this, it worries you a little bit. It makes you think. Well, then I won't show you the footprint that I casted the other day. How about that? <laughs> you know, I don't want to scare you. I think... Go ahead, Ron. I was, going to say, I was just going to say, I think we've even got Sasquatch stories in the UK. There's... Um... <laughs> there's an area called Canic Chase where people have apparently seen like a Bigfoot kind of creature, which is weird to me because I'd never thought we'd have an, you know, right. any kind of reports of anything like that. So, right. So it's interesting. I want to test out Mikey's audio here. Is it Mikey or Mickey? What are you going by? Mikey. 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 Perfect. Okay. Mikey, we, perfect. we do have a little bit of feedback coming <laughs> from you here. So I had to think you got a speaker on or something. You got a speaker on or something. And. And, and let's see where we are here. Let's see where we are here. I'm not hearing it. Can you hear me? Oh, now we can. Yeah. Now we can. Now you're beautiful. Now you're beautiful. Thank, oh, okay. thank you for the audio there. Uh, how did you end up getting involved with these with these guys here? Well, uh, it's actually the same story as uh, Rich said. Uh, I was searching for, uh, you know, for a little job and uh, phone reach on freelancer. So I tried and uh, applied doing some sketches. And um, at first it was, you know, a bit, uh, these sketches were a bit like, uh, you know, like some fast sketches. It was like another style than what we are making today. Uh, so the rich approved the sketch and like, this is how we go. It's awesome to have you here as well. And and to have all three of you here, because one of the things that you guys are doing is you are scouring the world for any type of weird, strange story. And Simon, do you find these stories are popping up almost on the daily from every type of country out there? Yeah, and, and, and there's quite a, a nice range as well. We, we've got quite one of the richest strengths, I think, and one of the things that's made the channel so successful is accessibility. Uh, and we're always quite keen to get back to people when they contact us with stories. 
uh, and to note them down to chase them. Um, most of the people that contact us, you know, know, know a good ghost story or a good monster story from their neck of the woods. Uh, and you start researching and go on the internet. Uh, and what we like to do is find stories people haven't heard of. Um, some of the less popular ones, things like Jack the Ripper, for example, have been done to death. So we'll then go and look for something a, a little bit more fringe. And I think that's why people like to come back because there's some stories that you can find anywhere. Uh, and in other stories, I mean, certainly from a UK point of view, I think one of our best videos was the Husack Tunnel Hauntings. Uh, and I'd, I'd never heard of that before I researched it. So it's, it's quite nice to be able to, I think our channel gives people the chance to travel. They can, they can, they can travel without the, the airfare, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, the fun that you guys have in choosing these topics, uh, Mikey, let's find out what, what's your favorite topic that you guys do. Well, uh, hard, hard question, you know. Hmm. Favorite topic? Hmm. Well, let's say mysteries, ghosts. Hmm. I like kind of that. And, of course, history, what hmm, reflects to some history incidents, you know, like hmm, like Jatlov Pass or something like that. Right on. How about for you, Rich? Do you have a favorite topic? Yeah, I kind of like the disappearances, you know, the strange disappearances that got no kind of explanation. My favourite mystery is probably um, Flannan Isles Lighthouse Mystery up in Scotland. Um, and, and, and incidentally, that's the first uh, story we ever did on the channel. That was the first video we uploaded. So, yeah. And how about for you, Simon? Uh, I do love a good ghost story. Uh, and I think the scripts that I get the most invested in are where someone's taken a a location like the Myrtles Plantation uh, or, or Leap Castle, and then just to sort of delve into the, the ghosts there and what the historical stories are behind them. So for all of you, when you guys get into your meetings, you decide which way we're going to go. How long does it take you guys to build an actual episode? <laughs> um, it's, probably, it's probably about a, a week's worth of work, really. Uh, Simon's quite a fast writer, actually. He turns around... Stories quite quick, depending on his workload with his day job. Um, and then I've got to go through and edit it and pick out what scenes we're going to kind of depict with the artwork. And then it takes about, it might be about a week to draw all of the images that go along with the episode. And then obviously you've got the recording of the narration, the selection of the music. So yeah, I'd, I'd say from start to finish, probably two or three weeks, but we kind of pull everything together within one week, maybe. Okay, so with that, how many episodes are you working on at a time? Uh, two at a time. Most of the, most of the, uh, when it's just as I'm finishing off the post-production on a one episode, Mike is already drawing the artwork for the next. Simon's already writing the next. Uh, he's probably got three scripts in advance. I think Simon at the minute. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, about so when you guys put this together, Rich, and you were building your team, I mean, you have to have a lot of solids that are going in in order for it to work. You know, you have to have solid writing. You have to have solid imagination. You have to have solid facts. You have to be able to really paint that picture for the audience. How do you go about painting that picture behind the scenes? Uh, you're probably better off directing that to Simon, to be honest, because he's, he's writing most of the episodes at the minute, I think. So um, uh, it, it's his words that really paint the picture, so... <laughs> Sorry to, to pass it's, the book. It's about, no problem. I suppose it's about, 
it's about depth of material, really. Um, we'll have people contact us and say, oh, this this will make a great story. Ultimately, it's got to be 20 minutes worth of material and it's got to be engaging. We've got to have a, bit, a beginning and a middle and end to it. And if you've got stories where your, your witness testimony is one person and, and there are no other eyewitnesses to it, no other physical evidence to it, or you have stories that are just so amazingly fantastic but have been debunked, we have to look at it and say, look, can, can we get a 20-minute episode out of this? Can can we have an argument and a counter-argument? Because that that's, again, one of the strengths of the channel. We don't lead people. We don't tell them what's happened. We will present what the alleged facts are and then both arguments and let people make their mind up. And we've got to have an argument either way. I, I don't think Rich would run a story if it was all just, this is what happened and this is what you need to believe. We have to build in a counter-argument to it. Mm, yeah. And for you guys, knowing that you guys are, you're not creepy pasta. I think we, we should clarify that right now. You are actually searching for real stories that are going on. How many emails are you guys getting a day from listeners wanting to, to share their stories with you? Yeah, quite a lot, to be honest. Um, it, not, it doesn't number in the hundreds. It's quite manageable. But yeah, we, we've got a list. We've got a whole spreadsheet. Um, and it's, it's not just... Uh, people's personal stories it's it's like Simon said earlier it's um it's stories from their neck of the woods so for instance I think somebody come in uh, emailed and, and uh, suggested uh, Dover Demon and we did that quite recently uh, I think that was the last video we did actually um but yeah we put them all into a list in an excel sheet and then we just go through and, and decide to research them or contact the person if it was a personal story and ask for more information and if their personal story kind of collects into like a, a bigger narrative within that area. We'll, we'll probably do an episode that focuses on, um, on that kind of phenomenon. For instance, uh, we did uh, an, an episode called highways of horror. So we had quite a few stories from people who wrote in about encounters they'd had on the road, whether it was with a UFO or some weird looking cryptid or, you know, a ghost, you know, and we kind of collected all those stories into one and made an, uh, well, We've done a series, actually. We've done two episodes on that. So, Have any of you ever had, because you're dealing with the paranormal world, have you ever had what we call the hitchhiker effect, where you get so engrossed in a story or the same type of accounts that all of a sudden that energy kind of has rubbed off on you guys? Have you ever, any of you ever had that? Um... I've had I've had experiences in the past uh, which were quite weird, um, but I wouldn't say it's increased any more or less since we started doing this. I mean, there is something weird about this house that's happened quite a few times, um, and I did go to the landlord and say, "Has anybody died in this house?" And he said, "No, not as far as I know." He lived in this house himself twenty years ago, and it's only about twenty years old, I think. Um, and interestingly it's built on an old on top of an old woods and this woods got these woods have got um, a folklore um, quite a few ghost stories around centered around the woods so I don't know whether maybe the, the ghostly occurrences that happen in here uh, are as a result of, of that <laughs> how about for you Simon um, it, it's again, I suppose for me, it goes back to the ghost stories because certainly in terms of, of geography, a lot of the American stories that we cover, you know, we look at huge forested wooded areas or the Great Lakes or, or and you know, Canada, um, and the, the Alaska Triangle, 
that doesn't really equate to the topography that we've got over here. But, you know, a ghost story, you can get them from anywhere. You can get historic ones or modern ones. And I think there are a couple of scripts where when I've, when I've got really down into the meat of it, if there's, a, if there's a bump in the night afterwards, it makes me think twice. And Mikey, have you got any uh, hitchhiker effect type of uh, action around you? Mm, hard, hard to tell. <laughs> Things no. <laughs> I don't believe you. You seem to be holding well, back a little bit. You seem to be holding back. No, Do you know, I don't we, think so. Can I just uh, say we we have we have actually done um, personal stories on the bedtime stories channel. Uh, me and Simon have both put personal stories up. Mikey's the only one who hasn't. <laughs> and to be honest, it's, be, it's because I asked him and he said that I've never really experienced anything really creepy or, or weird. So, <laughs> so you got to believe me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you the free pass on that one. Guys, we got about uh, three minutes here before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. We have Simon, Rich and Mikey from bedtime stories over in the United Kingdom who woke up early for all of us here in North America tonight. And I, I want to ask you guys, as we prepare for the next half hour, do you all kind of believe what you're writing and what people are, are saying, or do you have some sort of skepticism that goes along with it? Simon, you're the writer. Let's start with you on this one. It depends on the story, to be honest. Um, but, again, you, you look at some of the some of the cryptid episodes uh, and, and, and Sasquatch, for example, the, the number of sightings and the large range of sightings and the commonalities to the sightings, it's hard not to see that something is there. There's definitely a story. Um, you have to accept. Snack time? Here we go. Blue Diamond's habanero barbecue flavored almonds. So tangy and zesty and oh, but there's also Blue Diamond's wasabi and soy sauce almonds, bringing that flavor with a kick. Okay, I'm having both. Blue Diamond almonds, super flavor, all on a superfood. Yeah, it's the Priceline Negotiator, and I'm here because I'm tired you getting less less sunshine less fun less bang for your buck it's time for more that's why i'm getting you up to 60 percent off your favorite hotels along with exclusive deals on rental cars and flights because when you save more you can do more more sunshine more fun a lot more for your dollar every trip is a big deal so visit priceline.com to get more out of your next trip some of it is fantastic but there doesn't seem any reason for people to lie about it. Um, so, yes, I, I think I don't think I could write the scripts if on some level I wasn't believing what was down there. How about for you, Rich? Um, again, it depends on the story. Some of the more outlandish ones I kind of have a bit of trouble with. Um, I, c- I can kind of believe, believe the ghost stories because I've had ghostly experiences myself. I've seen a couple of UFOs. Um, but I, I'd say the the ones I probably have more trouble believing are the cryptid ones. I, I, uh, incidentally, I do actually believe in Bigfoot. I do think there's um, there's some creature out there that we 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 haven't seen yet, or it's not been discovered by modern science. But the things like um, Mothman and um, what's the other ones? The, the, the night flyers and things like that in Vietnam. I have a bit of trouble with that. I'm a bit on the fence. I'm open-minded, but I'm I'm not 
I'm not fully on board with believing. Well, you come to British Columbia anytime, we'll show you where the Sasquatch are. How about that? I just found a brand. I just found a brand new area. Casted some prints yesterday and was uh, having a lot of fun playing around in the forest, seeing some weird stuff happening there. That's only about ten kilometers from my house. So if you, hey, Sasquatch is around. All you got to do is make the trek over. It'll be fun. I promise you. None of us will go missing. How's <laughs> that? Well, <laughs> hey, I stay away from the rock gardens for a reason. That's where it all seems to happen, is you got to stay away from the rock gardens. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to get you all to hold on here because we are going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour on Spaced Out Radio, and we are proud to have the creators of Bedtime Stories, a highly popular YouTube channel, talking all things spooky on their channel. They're coming up on 664,000 subscribers, and I'm subscribed. I expect all of you out there to subscribe to their channel. Why not? It's all worth it, and we're all in it together to bring these fun, interesting, and entertaining stories to you. Joining us tonight, from Bedtime Stories, Simon, Rich, and Mikey. And when we return, we're going to bug them for some stories Interesting here. Interesting and entertaining. From all over the world. We're in for a good night of radio right here on the Mighty SOR. Stay tuned. Second half hour is next. All right, we're clear. Good stuff. That was a quick half hour. Yeah, seems flyby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we got about five minutes here where we just kind of can sit here and look at each other foolishly and not say anything, or we can just <laughs> shoot the shit. Here, let me let me oh, show, can... let me show you something. My casting broke on me last night. It broke on me when I put it on my shelf. It broke on me. That's the print we got yesterday. What's that? Sasquatch print. Oh. Come on. So is, that from, is, is that from nearby or? Yeah, I, I that was from our, our site that we found uh, uh, the other day. Wow. I'd love to I'd love to be able to uh, I'd love to live in that sort of area. I think I'd be out every day searching for oh, the Sasquatch, I think. Dude, we uh, we found more prints up in the forest area. Like, all of a sudden, you, you come across, and you're, like, walking through the dirt and grass, and you see these giant, like, flat marks. And then you all of a sudden see the outline of toes. It's kind of cool, mm. man. It's kind of cool. We uh, Here, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Hold on. Have you actually seen a Sasquatch yourself, or two? Two, two. Wow. I, I, in 2013, uh, <clears throat> I, me and a buddy came within a hundred feet of two of them, and then in 2018, where I live now, my uh, another couple buddies and I actually got chased out of the forest by two of them. We never saw them. They, we did hear the one actually talking. You know, it was like, 
where I live, okay, is extremely rural. And when you go 34 kilometers into the forest and then you take a back trail where there's only one way in and one way out, Mm. uh, you know there's nobody out there. You know, and this one that was chatting with us, it was... It was weird. It was uh, weird. I've heard the, um, I think it was on a David Politis documentary. He uh, he showed, I can't remember what, what the area is, but it was quite famous for Bigfoot sightings. And they mm-hmm. set up like a camp and they were chased out of there. But he's got, re- they got recordings of the Sasquatch shouting at them. Or yeah. It, it, it's some kind of weird language anyway. It wasn't, um, it wasn't English, yeah. but it was, it was very human-like in its, uh, delivery. This is one that we found the other day. You could, if you start off by the heel, you could kind of see how it starts off very thin, getting very wide yeah. near the top, and it kind of bends round. Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. we that. found we found about seven or eight of those yesterday. Wow. So, um, are you more uh, sort of into ghosts or sort of Sasquatch? Or aliens, or uh, I am more of a cri- I am more of a cryptid UFO guy, alien mm. guy. Uh, I've I've had some weird experiences in my life that um, I can't explain, and uh, it's just kind of like when I started this show in 2014, I had I I. Ret- I call it retired from radio, quit radio, mainstream radio as a journalist in, uh, in, uh, uh, well, if we're sharing the VIX here, hold on. (laughs) There we go, Mikey. I got one too. Uh, but I, I never expected to get back into radio and then I got convinced to. So we started this up. Uh, one thing we should say is just, I'm going to quickly say hello to a bunch of people who are here. Cable Guy Matt is here, everyone. Remember, if you hit up Cable Guy Matt, he will send you an autograph-free piece of coaxial cable, courtesy of Cable Guy Matt. Remember, folks, you cannot buy these in stores. Limit one per household. He's watching us on a 185-inch television he has in his basement right now. And uh, let's see, who else is here? I'm way behind in the chat room. Thank you to Angel Wings, Cat Chaser, Shelly, D. Cohen, and Smithy for the amazing super chats. Very much appreciate the love and support that you have for SOR. And, of course, to all the veterans out there, uh, thank you so much for tuning us in. You always have a safe home here at the Mighty SOR. And you can do some shopping on our website, spacedoutradio.com. Here comes the second half hour. Second half hour of Space Down Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. 
My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do us the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. From the highly successful YouTube channel, Bedtime Stories, we have Rich, Simon, and Mikey joining us from the channel as they are telling us all about the creepy bedtime stories that they share with the world. They have almost 664,000 subscribers as they continue to put out a plethora of topics of spooky stories from around the world. Gentlemen, welcome back. Appreciate you. Simon, I want to start with you on this one because you're the writer of everything. And this, usually I don't take questions until the second hour, but this is kind of pertinent to what we're talking about. One of our new listeners, Sadie Rowe, is wondering, what's the difference between creepypasta and what you guys are doing? Because creepypasta is supposed to be fictional type writing. I think certainly with the growth of the internet, there's a bit of crossover, to be honest. Um, because I, I, my understanding of creepypasta was that you don't sell it. As, as real you sell it as, as fictional but as close to real as you can get and i think certainly with some of the more modern stories that we research when you look for the witness stories on the internet there, there's stuff there that you could argue is creepypasta because it's it's not verifiable um so it's inevitable that with some of the stories we covered some creepypasta stuff will have crept in um but part of the purpose of what we do is they're supposed to be genuine stories. They're supposed to be stories that the people have experienced that you could experience if you travel to that part of the world. Um, so I think a bit of creepypasta does bleed in occasionally where some people have read fictional material and taken it as gospel. Uh, and sometimes you get websites that have picked up on creepypastas and, and sold them as genuine cryptids. So it's, it's hard where we can, we try and steer away from it, but it's, it's not, it's not always that easy because if stories are popular, everyone picks them up, puts them out there, and after a while, they, they become genuine stories just because people believe them. And, Rich, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, it's pretty much the same, to be honest. Um, we uh, we kind of try to avoid anything that's that's fictional. Um, I think we we might have covered one or two by accident. I think UB65 was actually a, a creepypasta original creepypasta from way back when, when they used to write books on these things. And, uh, but it, it was, it's been sold over time so much as a, a genuine story that, you know, you kind of, the, the lines become blurred and you just don't know where to, where to categorize it, I suppose. But um, yeah, pretty much what Simon said there, we, uh, we try to choose stuff that's not um, fictional. Uh, we actively avoid that and, yeah, what what we want is is witness names. What we want is to be able to say, look, you know, there's a little bit of genuine to this because you've got yeah. real people who you can trace back who you've done newspaper interviews or TV interviews or or you know can be traced back to an address and there's some fact behind it. And we're trying to avoid stories that are just based on uh, a Reddit user said this or somebody anonymous came onto a chat forum and said this. And and I think that keeps us just the right side of the line. Yeah. Although we have we have done stories in the past where we have taken somebody's account from Reddit 
um, if it's if it's to do with a particular category that we're talking about, then yeah, we we kind of we're open to taking those kind of stories on. Okay, let's let, let's start. You guys get reports and stories from all over the world here. You know, we're used to the ones in North America. Let's start off where you are in the United Kingdom. And Simon, maybe you could share us a a good haunted story that's come to you guys recently. Um, I mean, one of the ones that I connected with. I'm I'm originally from the Midlands, slap bang in the middle of the UK, uh, as riches. But I transplanted myself down to the southwest, down to uh, Devon, uh, which is big cat territory. So while we haven't got uh, Bigfoot in this country, there are quite a lot of big cat stories. Uh, and certainly one of the stories from that, there's a, there's a Royal Marine base down in Limston, down in Devon. Uh, and they were actually called out during the 1980s because there was a, a big cat allegedly terrorising the countryside, um, slaughtering farmer sheep. Uh, and, and you just think, why, why would you send four Royal Marine sniper teams out into the Devon countryside for no reason. Um, it just it just doesn't smell right. And and, and that, that's the sort of thing that, that makes me think, well, there's got to be something to it. Um, so I'm, I'm right down in the middle of big cat territory now. So uh, when I'm out walking at night, I uh, listen for the rustle of the bushes. <laughs> what kind of report? Which, which might... Go ahead, Rich. I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was going to say, which, which might sound a bit tame to you because you obviously live in, in British Columbia where you probably have... Big cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but in the UK, obviously, we don't have any. I mean, the most dangerous uh, wildlife we have is probably a squirrel. <laughs> so, you know, you go three kilometers from my house, man, and everything out there wants to kill you. Everything: mm. the black bears, the grizzly bears, the badgers, the the mountain lions, the lynx, the bobcats, the moose. Even the deer want to kill you, you know? It's, mm. it's not fun. Like, thank God we don't have, like, poisonous snakes up here, man. Otherwise, I would just never go in the forest. But never mind the fact that around here we also have legends of Sasquatch. And then if you go to the east of where we are, which would be behind me, you have Dogman Reports. And the First Nations around here claim to have or claim to say that there are actually villages of little people up in the mountains. So you have a lot to deal with in, in just this area, let alone the actual real animals that, you know, don't want you trouncing around in their territory. I mean, you come near a, a 16, 1,700-pound moose, they're angry. Why? Probably because they're ugly, but that's... <laughs> just the way it is. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think Rich mentioned it earlier on. One of the areas up in the Midlands where we grew up uh, is called Cannock Chase, and that that has got all manner of stuff associated with it. It's, it's got UFO sightings, ghost sightings, monsters, and, and black-eyed children. That's uh, another one that comes out of there, which is uh, quite terrifying. Well, tell it's us. It's almost like the uh, the UK's version of Skidwalker Ranch, isn't it? Wow, is that near Rendlesham? No, 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 any. <laughs> well, tell us, you know what? Black eyed kid stories freak me out because my buddy on January 2nd down in Washington State actually had a black eyed kid come up to his fence and he's got it all on video that that child, when he went and replayed the tape, that child that he was talking to and there was only a fence between them was not there. 
Oh my God. Yeah. His security cameras good. saw no child whatsoever. So tell, tell us a, a, a good uh, a black eyed kid story from the UK. Simon's probably best to do this. He wrote the, uh, the episode on um, black eyed kids. Well, I think we, I mean, we, we actually rewrote black eyed kids after a while. That's right, and, yeah. And the, the question is, you know, what, what are they? Certainly the original episode that we wrote, there was a tie-in with the, the Men in Black and UFOs and them riding around in cars. Um, but then they also move over to, to ghost stories as well and, and demons. Uh, and certainly, again, Canic Chase, a couple of years back, with the growth of drones, you get people going out there and, and flying their drones around and just catching sight of, of sort of female figures in, in white dresses staring back at them out of the tree line, and that gets quite scary. So, do you have well, the, do you have a favorite story, Simon, that has come across your way that uh, really maybe gave you the heebie-jeebies? I'd have I'd have to think about it. To be honest, um, what what you mentioned First Nation stories earlier, um, and it, it, researching that, it just strikes me that every tribe has several stories in it, which when you actually start scratching down to the surface the stories behind how people turned into those monsters are quite horrific. <laughs> sort of the, the curses and the, and the rituals that have gone into them. You look at the Wendigo and how people turned into Wendigos, uh, the, the, the Bok, the, the, the Skinwalker, and, and it's pure nightmare fuel. Like, like it's, it's scarier than anything Hollywood can come up with. Very true. Mikey, do you have a story that's yeah. kind of freaked you out a little bit? Uh, that's a question of time. I need, I need to think about it. <laughs> mm. Let's see, let's see. Mm. We we went a bit down a rabbit hole in terms of nautical mysteries. And, and again, me, me and Richard Midlanders, we're, we're about as far removed as a coast as you can get uh, in the Midlands. But... The, the, the Great Lakes stories are the gift that keep on giving. We just keep going back to the Great Lakes, the ships and aircraft that have gone missing there, uh, and, and the Bermuda Triangle. And, and I think that's sort of the pull for people. If you've got a disappearance, and it's a disappearance where there's absolutely no evidence at all as to where they've gone, then then people keep coming back to it, hoping that something will, will filter out about it. Flight 19 is always a banker. People are still trying to figure that one out years down the line. You know, you talk about people who go missing, and around here, uh, living in British Columbia, you know, the the North Shore Mountains just east of Vancouver, right behind Vancouver, are number two on David Politis's list for missing 411, where people mysteriously just vanish. Do you guys have a lot of people over there mysteriously vanishing in weird circumstances? Well, according to David Politis, uh, the UK is one of the, the, I think it's the third after the US and Australia. Oh, sorry, North America. Let's say North America, including Canada as well. I think um, after North America and Australia, the UK is probably the third. And uh, he's, he's pointed to the fact that we have a lot of people dying in uh, water based scenarios, so the canals of Manchester. Um, and, and, you know, his, his whole take on the, these disappearances occurring near water and boulder fields. Um, so, yeah, um, we, we, we do kind of have... It's, it's not something that I'm highly aware of in this country, disappearances, but according to, to his take on it, uh, we probably the third most uh, prominent in that area. 
we, we touched on this. What, what was Rich? What was the name of the town we did in Canada recently, where they had the disappearances? Oh, it was uh, Alaska. That was sorry. That was Nome, wasn't it? No, no. We touched on this with Nome, and and when you look at missing persons figures, they're usually quite high because in that you'll have people that go missing for a short period of time, or regular missing people, or people that have been voluntarily missing. And when you actually tap down to the number of mysterious or unsolved ones, it's a lot shorter. But I, I don't. We haven't got the wide open spaces up here to do it. The chances are people are going to stumble across each other. Um, but certainly, when we did, um, we've done a couple of episodes on on um, mountain ranges where people have gone hunting the, the lost Dutchman's gold mine, uh, and you just keep finding headless bodies that people so ten fifteen years that went in. And then that then spread into the Nahani Valley as well, which is... I'm Carrie Walsh Jennings. Five Olympics, four medals. I've played with lots of injuries and sore muscles. KT Tape has helped me push past the pain. Today, clinical studies prove what I've always known, that using KT Tape before, during, and after workouts can reduce muscle soreness. Whether it's the Olympics or the local gym, pain is pain. Tape up with the number one kinesiology tape. Use it for muscle soreness and many common injuries. KT Tape. Train longer. Finish stronger. KT Tape works for me. It'll work for you. Hey guys, it's Tamara from Two Teas in a Pod. You've done everything you can to lose that stubborn fat, exercise, eat right, but lately it has gotten harder. I totally get it. You want that summer-ready body, right? Cool Sculpting may be able to help you reach your goals. It's a non-surgical treatment that targets freezes and eliminates treated fat cells for good. Ask your doctor if cool sculpting is right for you. Common side effects include temporary numbness, discomfort, and swelling. Find a provider at coolsculpting.com. Cool Sculpting is FDA cleared to treat visible fat bulges on the abdomen, flank, thigh, bra fat, back fat, upper arm, and under the buttocks, chin, and jawline. It's also FDA cleared to affect the appearance of lax tissue with submental area treatments. Cool Sculpting is not a treatment for weight loss. Rare side effects may occur. Cool Sculpting may cause visible enlargement in the treated area after treatment, which will not resolve on its own and may require surgical intervention for correction. Ask your doctor if Cool Sculpting is right for you. See additional important safety information at coolsculpting.com. Similar thing, gold prospectors going into remote areas and, and just finding headless corpses further down the line. And you just start thinking, that ain't right. <laughs> there should be a reason oh, why that's happening. I cannot find anybody who will come on record about the Nahani Valley in the Northwest Territories. I mean, those headless victims... I want to talk about that, man. I want to go, get a camera and go in there. But apparently there is some sort of monster in there. And I'm not sure if it's Sasquatch or something completely different that really doesn't like people in their heads. You know, I mean, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it whatsoever. Possibly a long lost Native American tribal. <laughs> you know what? It could be. It could be, but the, one of the weird stories I heard about that area was that there was a film crew, a documentary film crew or a journalist or something wanted to go into that area and rented a helicopter, and the helicopter said, I'll be back in like 30 minutes. They only allowed like 30 minutes to go in that area. Helicopter dropped them off, did a circle, started to leave, hovered, then came back and landed and picked them up and said, we got to get you out of here now. And when they asked why, uh, the hel- all the helicopter pilot would say, it wasn't safe for you, and it's best that you- mm. we leave. I mean, it was that quick. 
And that's the, one of the only other stories that I've heard besides the legends that everything goes. But I mean, it, it's just crazy how people are just disappearing. Rich, do you think that maybe a lot of these people who are disappearing are not being taken by monsters, but maybe are walking into different dimensions or through portals into another world? I'm open-minded to the to the possibility, but I think most of the disappearances in, in this, particularly in wooded areas, probably due to misadventure. And the, you know, when you get lost in the woods, you get lost in the woods. Especially how big the woods are in a, in America. Everywhere you look, or you know, North North America, everywhere you look looks the same. So unless you know the area well, uh, the chances are you're going to get lost if you go, if you go off the trails, uh, the established trails and things. But um, it's it's interesting you mention that because. We're actually doing an episode uh, that's coming up soon on um, people who have nearly gone missing in the woods. So it's it's kind of like a sequel to... We, we did an episode, one of the first episodes we did was, was called There is Something in the Woods. We've done a part two of that. And this part three is going to be based on, um, on people who have had near misses. So, for instance, um, there was one story about a couple of kids uh, who lived on the edge of a woods, um, the tree line actually met their backyard and they kept seeing something behind a tree about 50 meters away from them. So they walked in after, and it was a kind of weird thing. That's something they couldn't really describe. Um, and once they got inside the woods, it would appear again, another 50 meters away. And it kept going back and back and back. And they realized that they were being pulled into the woods it seemed what seemed like five minutes passed and they found themselves almost a mile away from their house. So, you know, it's stories like that. They, they kind of broke out of this kind of trance that they were in and, and walked back to their house. So yeah, near misses. <laughs> that is creepy. That is creepy. I mean, the fact that that is happening to real people, I mean, what kind of trauma do you think these people are having when you interview them, Simon, and, and talk to them and, and, and get to know their stories more for details? It's just the complete lack of an explanation. Uh, and, and the story that Rich has just mentioned is, is a good one. It's just that you go over it in your head as many times as you want, but it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And that's certainly true of, of the cryptid episodes um, where you've got people who are out in the fringes of the wilderness and they've, they've seen something big and something scary. Uh, and it's just so strange. So you can't relate to it at all. Uh, and and that, that leaves a long-lasting effect of people desperate to know answers but not wanting to try and find out what those answers are. No, very true. I mean, finding those answers can be just as scary as the encounter itself. You know, for you guys, Mikey, when you are drawing and trying to describe and paint a picture for people during the stories, how do you capture the emotion in your art of what the people are feeling? Mm, well, mm, you know, uh, actually, Rich sent me the brief. So he like clearly sent me some uh, details about the, the illustration, like how it must look. So he sent me references. Uh, sometimes he even do the concepts, <laughs> and uh, I starting doing from that. In the meantime of the process, mm, I do like then I redo sometime, mm, starting over. 
like if uh, it doesn't work or uh, changing changing um, it i hate to say it but uh, it really depends <laughs> it depends uh, like uh, uh, how it must uh, look how it must uh, capture the um, emotion or something like that right and yeah it's a couple of times I've, I've, there's a couple of times, sorry, where I've uh, sent him a picture saying this person needs to look shocked, and there's kind of a miscommunication. Um, like his version of shocked is different to my perception of shocked, <laughs> so it's it's kind of a, a work in progress. <clears throat> no, for sure, but you, know, uh, you have to capture that emotion, though. I mean, that's what people mm. are going through. That that's tough. We, we have been caught out a couple of times, particularly if you're looking at going back to stories around the, the, the 50s and 60s, where in our heads we will form a picture of what the protagonist looks like. And then the last minute when Richard sent the brief, he'll, he'll suddenly stumble across a photo of somebody and they're the wrong age, gender, or ethnicity. And we have to quickly yeah, panic that, and get my change the picture. That, that actually happened with the Scape or Swamp uh, episode. Um, the kid whose car was attacked by this lizard man. Um, I put the episode up um, and I briefed to, I think it was Christian who did the artwork for that, not Mikey. I briefed to him that, just to draw some guy. And obviously he, he drew like a white guy. And the, the kid who um, <laughs> the kid who saw it was actually uh, African-American. So immediately I was like, somebody got in touch. I think we released it on Patreon first. So early access subscribers kind of. Picked up one person message and said, uh, "I think you should look at the picture of the guy who uh, who saw this monster because your depiction isn't quite correct." It being as diplomatic oh. as he could, <laughs> and I ripped the video down straight away and went back to the artist and said, "You have to draw him as an African American rather than a white guy because you know people are sensitive about this and we need to kind of get that get that fixed." And then we reuploaded and. It all was good. Nobody noticed in the end, I don't think. So, yeah, it is. It is getting harder and harder to write scripts without the as the audience has grown. It is harder to write things that people don't get sensitive about. To be honest, yeah. it's getting the language that we use and and some of the some of the concepts. It, it's it's hard for us because we want to use the experiences of the language of the people that were involved and the words they would have used and their thoughts and how they judge things. Sometimes that's not really conversant with how things are going these ways. Uh, and it's getting hard for us to negotiate a minefield of scripts without people sort of coming at us now and saying, oh, we don't agree with that. We don't think you should use that word. We don't agree with how you've depicted this person. And we have to come back and say, look, you know, if we're doing a story from the 1800s, that's how people thought back then. We're not advocating it, but, that, but we're also not going to PC it up for today's audience. That has to be difficult. I've never thought about that before. Never thought about that before. And, you know, how do you judge your audience on, on content? As we got about two minutes to go. How do, how do you judge with the ever-evolving uh, thinking and, and the sensitivities of audiences today? Rich mentioned that we have an early access facility, and that's what usually tends to feed it back. It, it, we, have, we have sort of paid subscribers who get it a week early. Uh, and certainly we, we did a script on the Myrtle's Plantation the other week. Uh, and one of the stories is about the, the ghost of a, and depending on some of the words that have been used in the past, a slave or a servant girl. Uh, and straight away when we put it up there, we got a lot of feedback saying, you can't say that she was his lover if she was a slave. That's, that's servitude. And, and it got to the point where Rich literally had to pull it away, rewrite a portion of the script and put it back again because 
about one in 10 people are going, we don't like this and you shouldn't represent it like this and you're perpetuating stereotypes. So it's feedback usually. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't intentional at all on our part. We weren't. It was just. It was. Uh, I think sometimes in the editing process, you just become blind to the actual story, and you're more focused on on the flow and and um, on just getting the story out there. And, and, and yeah, I hate to say it, but you, you can't. You kind of become desensitized, kind of thing. So you don't really pick up on what other people might pick up on. How do you get around the YouTube algorithms for something like that, though? <laughs> You tell we us. don't talk about there's, there's, certain, there's certain words that we know that we we can't use. I mean, we, we can't depict anybody being hanged or uh, talk about suicide too much. That, that that those subjects are big no-nos on YouTube's kind of uh, algorithm. We get demonetized straight away on any content that that kind of uh, talks about that subject. Right. Well, gentlemen, we're going to come back here after a break for hour number two as we have the guys from Bedtime Stories over the United Kingdom. We have Simon, Rich, and Mikey hanging on out with us, talking about all the weird, strange stories that they are going through and writing for their incredible YouTube channel, which is called Bedtime Stories. And if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you go check it on out. If you're in our chat room, I have posted the link for you guys to go hit subscribe. They're almost at 664,000 subscribers who tune on in for their creepy, real, true, freaky stories. Hour 2 is next. Gentlemen, we got about six minutes here. And I am going to just step away for a minute. Remember, our YouTube audience is in there watching. If you go up in your right-hand corner where it says private message, you'll see a a section for comments. And the YouTube audience, uh, you'll be able to see what they have. And you can chat with them for a minute, okay? Okay. Yeah. All right. It's one of those little things we do. Hold on. I'll be right back. Just looking through right now. <laughs> is, is Luke coming in, Rich? Do you know? He is, and uh, I think um, in the class. Yeah, he's he's in a class at the moment. But he said, I think about an hour after. So any time, momentarily, he should be coming in. Um, but yeah. These, these oh, comments. Well, <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Fine. I say you look tired, but I'm not one to talk. Doesn't look that tired, to be fair. Does he even sleep? I don't think he does, does he? Well, every time I contact him, he's always on his messaging, so even if it's two o'clock in the morning, he's probably still drawing away. <laughs> Somebody mentioned the oh space geek. That's uh, Joshua. That is, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I recognised a couple of the names earlier on. <clears throat> yeah, he wrote. He actually wrote the Bellwitch episode, so that's why he's uh, he's mentioned that. He's just, I think he's after a shout out there. <laughs> it's uh, one of the. That's the one instance where we've had a subscriber actually write an episode. I think. Otherwise, it's me and you. Simon. 
just remember that when the book royalties come through. Oh yeah, I was actually going to say to you about that because volume two is in an influence. I'm just finishing editing off the last ten uh, chapters. So, um, did you say you were yeah. going to roll straight from doing a three? Yeah, roll straight into doing three as well. I've got an editor standing by to go through it to do an initial run, and then I'll go through it again after just to pick up on anything that I don't agree with what they've done. Um, sometimes I make edits that I don't agree with, and yeah, so. <laughs> But uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've redone the uh, redone this book, and it's got all the artwork in headings for the chapters. Is that is that the first book? Yeah, so I've started putting artwork in for the episodes. So that's what we've got. Is there a new artwork in there, or is it the, is it the existing stuff? Oh no, it's the existing. It's just like the, the thumbnail, or sort of more uh, suitable artwork. Um, just one per chapter as a heading. But yeah. <clears throat> and then we've got the picture book coming out as well, but I need sketches from Mikey to to carry on with that, but he's too busy at the moment, I suppose. I did ask him if he wanted to join that silhouette project, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's too busy. How are you getting on with the, uh, the search for other artists? Oh, I found two more, so we're good. Sorry about that, boys. No worries. Sorry, we were just just chatting amongst ourselves with regards to the stuff that's going on with the episode. <laughs> oh, very nice, very nice. The impromptu. <clears throat> well, let's see. Anybody else? Stonehenge, welcome uh, from the UK. It's six in the morning. Yes, it is. <laughs> <clears throat> let's see here. Jules, we got about. Um, I mean, yeah, Dave. If if you if you get the chance um, on the channel, as Rich mentioned, there are actually at least two episodes which are personal stories, which are things that we've experienced and put on there. And again, I think that's that's one of the things that draw people to the channel. They quite like the accessibility of it, sort of human face of it. Right on. Right on. Um, do you want me to play them? No. <laughs> I'd be too embarrassed, I think. Oh, nothing's more embarrassing, man. Nothing's more embarrassing. I hate hearing my own, I hate hearing my own voice, so, yeah. All right. I don't know why people like Fine. You're, you're the narrator. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I don't know why people like my voice, to be honest. I just, uh, <laughs> I hate it. It's just one of those things. Oh, I hear well, you. Well, people don't like it. I've had the feedback. We got about one minute, guys. One minute. Then we'll re uh, uh, get going here. <coughs> Excuse me. My dog came into work. Vaughn, how you doing? All right, gentlemen. Uh, big question from Joe here for you. Who likes eating breakfast foods for dinner? I I used to be a shift worker, so I had some very strange meals at very strange times of the day. So it didn't, didn't bother me. <laughs> How about you, Rich? I'll have a fry up. Full English, I've had a full English breakfast at, at, at sort of the evening meal as well. So, oh. yeah. Mickey, <laughs> Eggs, bacon, give, give, me, give me some hope here. You don't eat breakfast foods for dinner, do you? What? You don't. <laughs> I, I kind of don't understand 
his uh, question. Like uh, breakfast food for dinner, what what does it mean? Uh, that's okay. We got to get going here. Thank you to Smithy, D. Cohen, Shelly, Cat Chaser, and Angel for the super chats. Thank you to all the veterans out there tuning us on in and hanging on out. You always got a safe place in our chat room. Here we go with the second hour of the show. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. And we say hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on TalkStream Live, Odyssey Radio, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash space radio. Just do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club, Azimus. Azimus is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with the guys from Bedtime Stories. With us tonight, we have the creator, Rich, Simon, and Mikey, the artist. As well, we have a newcomer coming on in. This is Luke. Luke is from Wartime Stories. How you doing, Luke? Doing well. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me. And good to see you guys. Luke, Luke you're, you're not sounding very, very British here, man. No, I'm an American, so that's sorry. Sorry to disappoint. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> well, we heard a rumor that you were going to hop on in with us to to share some uh, wartime stories with us. So now that you're here, let's let's give a quick introduction to you. What's wartime stories all about? Um, you know what. <laughs> Wartime Stories is basically, it's kind of the same approach to the type of stories that, that uh, Rich and, and Simon and Mikey here do at Bedtime Stories. Uh, I, I, was really, I started the channel inspired by their channel, and it was only by the grace of Rich that he took me on as a partner channel when I kind of pitched this idea to him. I, I'm a, I did eight years in the U.S. Marine Corps, and so when I was looking to do a YouTube channel, I really liked the idea of doing bizarre stories from war. So kind of spreading the spectrum between, you know, bizarre, like unusual acts of heroism all the way to the more, you know, cryptids and alien encounters while in the military. Um, and kind of there's I, 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 take, I take a pretty loose approach. It doesn't always have to occur in an actual war setting. Um, so there's some events that are taking place on U.S. military installations during peacetime. Um, but yeah, just pretty much anything under the sun that, that could be considered unusual or out of the ordinary when it comes to military or war. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your service in uh, serving for the U.S. Marines. Even from a Canadian here, we do appreciate it because we are brothers and sisters with a minor border uh, separating us. But gentlemen, I got a question from Christine because I opened up questions in our audience here uh, during the second hour. And... Let's start off with you, Rich. 
uh, you said you had a UFO story. Uh, would love to hear what you what you saw. Yeah, okay. So uh, I actually related this story in um, a personal stories episode that we did about a year ago. Um, uh, when I was about uh, 14 years old, um, I was cycling along a path, and this path runs all the way through my town. So it's, uh, Here's to you, permanent resident of the snack table. For without you, how would we know that a bun is merely a vessel for delivering Eckridge smoked sausage to your mouth and that there's no shame in being the first to get seconds? Mm. Here's to you. Eckridge smoked sausage. You do you. Welcome to Seaspire Country, home of unlimited with cash back. Use less than two gigs of data a month, and we'll take $10 off your next bill. And that's on every line. So four lines could save you 40 bucks every single month. Unlimited data when you need it, cash back when you don't. Seems right, seems fair, and only Seaspire offers it. So stop paying for data you don't use and switch to life in Seaspire country. It's just like the rest of the country, only a few steps ahead. See Seaspire.com for details. Probably about four or five miles long. And, and at certain points, it, it goes between sort of um, suburban areas and then more rural areas. Um, and this one particular point, I was uh, passing a rural area, uh, which is next to a hotel. And this hotel's out in the middle of nowhere uh, with kind of fields all around it. Um, and as I'm riding up to this hotel, I see a group of people uh, standing off to the side of the path. And I think there must be a football match on. Somebody's playing you know, football on the field and these guys are just kind of spectating. But as I drew level with them and looked at, in the direction of where they were looking, there was this diamond-shaped um, thing <laughs> in the sky. And it was, it was kind of hollow in the middle. It was like a diamond-shaped um, outline, hollow in the middle, and it had this kind of squiggle between the, t- the top apex and the bottom apex. And it was just sitting in the sky, slowly kind of rotating like this and I slammed my brakes on and went and stood over with these people we were all looking at it kind of amazed um Hmm. and we we were all kind of talking amongst ourselves like trying to figure out what it was and and somebody said it it was a blimp from the town center like they were doing a um a show at the town center I think and that's the kind of consensus we we all agreed with because we couldn't explain what it was it was just it just looked so bizarre so we, we assumed it was an inflatable uh, limb. Um, and then no sooner had we thought that and agreed upon that being the explanation, it just phew, shot off. Didn't even see any kind of uh, trail that it left behind. It was just one minute was there, one second it was there rather, and next second it was it was just gone. You, you kind of just saw a blur of, of where it, it sort of shot off and that dissipated within you know a split second. Wow. It was very, very weird. How about you, Simon? Do you have a UFO story? Not as sexy as Rich's, uh, but certainly <laughs> I, I did uh, 18 years uh, shift work and driving home at night, there were several occasions where I was seeing fast-moving lights in the sky, which I, I struggled to rationalize. Oh, so you try and be the skeptical guy. <laughs> I try and stay both sides of the line. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think I'd be happy with my scripts if I didn't, to be honest. Like every good writer would say. That's a great answer, actually, by the way. Mikey, how about you? You ever had a UFO encounter? Well, I wish I would have to tell you guys, but I don't. (laughs) Well, I guess we're not going to get anything out of you. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, I'm the quiet guy. <clears throat> That's quite all right. That's quite all right. And how about for you, Luke? Yeah, I I do actually. Um, and it's it's funny because it's not an experience that I actually remembered until I I did a UFO episode. Um, and then I started to think, have I ever encountered anything like that? I was. I I, I can correct myself now because the first time I told the story was wrong on my channel, but I was on a flight. I was going from Cal. I was flying from Hawaii to um, Maine to do a training, uh, three week training uh, event in in Maine, uh, sometime in March. So I was flying basically, I think, from California straight to whatever the closest airport there was in in uh, that in New England near Maine. I can't pour uh, one of the Navy ports, something like that. But anyway, somewhere over the Midwest. So it was already dark outside. Um, and it, we were somewhere over the Midwest, so I don't know, Kansas or Oklahoma, somewhere in that range. I, 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 just, I wouldn't be able to know. I, I looked out. I was on a window seat, and I looked out the window. I was behind the wing of the plane, and I noticed what looked like headlights traveling along the ground. And, you know, just almost like two distinct beams of light. And it looked like there was trees, like, passing over top of these lights. So I got the impression, like, this is a car driving on like a, a, a forested road and there's, you know, it's giving this, you know, these tree branches are kind of breaking up the light, but then it struck me that, wait, I'm flying at like 35,000 feet. How could I possibly be seeing ca- a car's headlights from this distance? And, and that they look much closer. So I started trying to say, you know, like, well, the tree branch thing was really weird because this was an area with not a lot of city lights. This was kind of a, you know, you could see maybe lights out in the distance, but this was a pretty dark area. So I thought, okay, is this another plane? Is this like a helicopter? But at 35,000 feet, we're traveling at cruising speed for a, a, you know, a commercial plane. And I'm like, this thing is much lower than we are. I couldn't, maybe if I was to estimate it, maybe it was around the 10 to 15,000 foot level. Um, Because when we'd start hitting clouds, it would interact with the clouds, like the lights would either disappear behind clouds, or they would, you know, you could still see the the light behind the clouds. So I'm trying to figure out what am I, you know, what, and it's traveling at the same speed. So I'm also thinking, okay, am I like seeing the reflection of the plane's lights down on the clouds, but then the clouds passing over them didn't make any sense. And I did a sanity check that was actually a, uh, a soldier sitting next to me he was a senior soldier. He was a master sergeant. It just happened that we were on the same flight and he got the seat next to me and we had talked for a little while. So I'd already kind of, I was able to, to, to bump him and he was talking to his wife. And I said, I said, master sergeant, I know this is going to sound weird, but can you lean over me and tell me that I'm what, if I'm what I'm seeing is, is, is real. And, and I, I, he leans over me, you know, kind of like in my space and he's looking down and he's like, well, what that little like lights down there. And I was like, yeah, what, what is that? He's like, huh? Yeah, I see. I, that's weird. I don't know. I was like, they can't be headlights. Right. And he's like, yeah, that's, that doesn't make sense. So he, he eventually leaned back cause he didn't want to be in my personal space for too long, but I didn't really think much of it after that. It just, I stared at him for a while. And when we got to a city, they disappeared. They kind of seemed to, you know, like the city lights kind of drowned it out. And I just was like, okay, well, whatever it was, it's gone. But after we passed this major area, we know all the city lights and everything, and we got back to an area that was pretty dark, I happened to look back out the window, and there were those lights again. No way. You guys, you guys are being followed. 
couldn't couldn't put make sense of it so i just kind of put it out of the back of my mind and i honestly forgot about it until maybe a couple of months ago um because I, I i would have told you i didn't really believe in ufos or i didn't really think i had any experiences but then yeah some of the some of the stuff i've had shared from my viewers and stuff like that is i'm, I'm probably more like simon where i'm like i try to be rational about things and i try not to jump to like oh it's aliens kind of conclusion but yeah the recent events and everything i'm starting to to question even what if what i've if what i've seen or what they've seen is something a little bit more complicated you hang out around here long enough you'll know it's always aliens. <laughs> it's always aliens when it comes down to it you stub your toe in the middle of the night aliens no food in your fridge when you get that 2 a.m hunger call aliens always aliens it just it works out easier that way yeah. when it comes to it you know uh Obviously, with the United Kingdom, there is a lot of good haunted stories, gentlemen. You know, I mean, you're a country that's been around for a couple thousand years almost. And for a long time, there's a lot of ancient and, and older buildings there that have been refurbished over the years to, to keep them still standing. What are some of your favorite uh, haunted locations, Simon, that you've written about? It, it, I mean, I mentioned earlier on. If you if you look at North America, whenever you go to a, a native tribe, they have stories. And I think with England, it's it's castles. Any castle you go to, you there's usually tragedy associated with it, uh, and there's usually a ghost associated with it as well. Uh, and and it was it was Leap Castle that was probably our best one, the Irish one, um, where there were just stories of the fact that they found trapdoors leading down to spike pits, where where whole Red wedding guests had been sort of thrown down there, uh, but that was interesting because there was a there was an entity attached to that one, which is quite rare, called the the elemental, and people couldn't make their minds up whether it was a ghost or whether it was a demon or a cryptid. It used to crawl around the ceilings at night, and that was quite creepy. No kidding, yeah. no kidding. That would be creepy. How about for you, Rich? Do you have a favorite ghost story? Or location. I mean, one of the things that excites me is I have a buddy of mine named Merle who, for a year, he lived in the United Kingdom and he worked in a in a couple of old bars as a bartender. And he said the bars over there are just insane for hauntings. Yeah, uh, I was going to say actually, there was a there was a pub um, that I read about as a kid that was insanely haunted. Like people. Um, when the, the, the people used to kind of do the shutting down, sometimes they'd be on their own, they'd be down in the cellar. And I, can't, I feel it for some reason, I think the, the pub's name is the Queen's Head and it was in, um, in Staffordshire somewhere. But um, yeah, the, the one guy he heard singing behind him, like a, a choir almost. And he's in this cellar on his own and it's a country pub and he's doing the shutdown after work. Um, and he just hightailed it out of there <laughs> kind of, scared out of his wits and he had a few experiences to be honest so yeah um but uh, again I i'll go back to canic chase for ghost stories as well i think that's that's quite an interesting area especially because you know it's not just ghosts it's all kinds of things it's it's all you know all kinds of weird phenomena like a bit like skinwalker ranch dolly here has a question for you and she is asking do you have any gargoyle cryptid sightings yeah, there's um, there's one that we've recently written called the Ruskington Horror, which kind of resembles a gargoyle, the the entity seen in that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only one really. What what happened there? It depends. Will have to fly because I mean, there's obviously the wind creatures on the Mexico border, isn't there? 
Well, yeah. Yeah, apparently there's pterodactyls that still fly around Mexico and up here into their territory is like a giant triangle. It goes from like Eastern Mexico and Texas up the coastline to British Columbia here in the summer and then over to New Zealand and all those islands in there for the winter. And they're called the Ropin. And apparently their stomachs glow red, like a red uh, ball. And apparently these things are vicious and they feed on people. Wow. Wow. Sad times. No thanks. Mm. Well, (laughs) I, I know that's one of the stories that Merle and I are wanting to cover here coming up. Because trying to find someone to talk about that, it's in a really remote location north of me like by a couple hundred miles, and they don't really like talking about it. Mm. Mm-hmm. We'll have to put that one on the list. We'll have to put that one on the list, Simon, I think. <laughs> we'll do. Yes. All right, Luke, I'm going to ask you here. You, you write for your own channel called Wartime Stories, and for you, what kind of stories do you really appreciate, you know, telling the military side of things? It's a good question, and it, <laughs> the way I'd probably answer that is saying I think I think my audience is kind of divided um, because when I started that I'm a little bit slower, right? Because I work alone. So when I started the channel, I started with the more traditional type of military stories before I jumped into ghosts and aliens and cryptids. So I think people got the impression that oh, he's just going to do these types of more traditional stories. And then, you know, and I even did, you know, like Roy Benavides, you know, who's an extraordinary act of heroism. And I did that story in, in, in my my take on it. Um, but I, I honestly did the channel because I it was inspired by bedtime stories, because I can't really claim to have a lot of paranormal experiences myself, but they're fascinating to me. And there was a comment on my channel that I recently responded to, and I was able to kind of sort out my thoughts on this. And I think that as much as it comes off a little bit weird and, and a little bit unbelievable at times, whether people are seeing what they're actually seeing in the, like physically, or it's a hallucination or the result of a dream in some cases, I think the paranormal aspect of the military and what people see, whether it's in Afghanistan and in recent times or Vietnam or as far, you know, civil wars, you know, as far back as you could possibly go, you know, with reported history of these events, um, I think it I think it really gives a look into the psychology and the psychological impact that war has on us and, and it has on these men that are out there fighting. Because um, you know, one of the, the re- most recent story I did is kind of touches on this. It's a guy who was fighting in Vietnam and he encounters a ghost. And and, and it's just and what and the ghost actually speaks to him and it says something that's very relative to the situation that it, it, it's creepy. And he says it in a different language. And the guy didn't understand it when he heard it. But then later, like maybe years later, he's talking to a, 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 a teacher friend of his who knows Latin. And he recounts what he thought he heard. And she corrects him and tells him what it actually, what it probably was. And it's really creepy that he would actually hear. So, you know, my preference to answer your question is, yeah, the paranormal side of it. I mean, I, I, I probably will do more of the heroic stories in future, but you could go to any channel and hear those stories, to be honest. And, you know, I have my own style, but I really like the, the unusual 
side of, of, of um, what you could touch on in terms of war. Well, tell us one of those unusual stories. Um, let's see. One that I, well, with, with the exception of the ghosts that I already mentioned, um, trying to pick one. Well, because I maybe only started recently, um, Honduras, that's actually a good one. That's maybe a little more kind of centered. Um, and, and speaking of prehistoric animals like pterodactyls, there's a gentleman who I started uh, emailing back and forth with about a year ago, and he's had this kind of collective number of experiences, which in many cases lends to people not believing him. But I've noticed that there seems to be people who seem to have these sort of multiple experiences. The first real terrifying encounter that he had while he was in the army was on his first deployment. Uh, he was stationed in North Carolina. He was a, a combat logistics guy. He did radios. He was a, he was a comms guy. And during the 1980s, when the whole, uh, you know, uh, what was the, what was the, the, there was a war between Nicaragua and, uh, well, in Nicaragua was a civil war going on, right? Between the Sandinistas um, having taken over the government. And then there was the rebellion fighters fighting against him. Well, he was sent down to Honduras to help reconstruct an airfield. Um, American forces were working with the Hondurans and ultimately he ended up doing a lot of grunt work and doing like a border patrol, um, these, these border patrol, um, maneuvers to look for any Nicaraguan fighters that were crossing over into Honduras to, to have these kind of these, these shootouts, um, with the rebellion fighters, the Sandinistas fighting with the, uh, with the, with the rebels. And, he got a call um, from a reconnaissance plane or helicopter of some kind had seen a boat, which it looked unusual. And they thought it could be some, it could be a, a, a you know, one of the Nicaraguan boats, you know, coming down the river. So um, pretty routine. He was told with his unit to go inspect it. His patrol unit was sent out down to the riverside. Um, they parked their vehicles, maybe about half a mile, a mile away from the river. And they hoofed it down there. There was, I think six or seven of them total. Um, and they were just going to do an observation and see what this boat was so they could send it back up a report. They weren't really there to engage with the enemy. They were really just there to do reconnaissance. Well, rather than a boat passing by, this large black object is, you know, starts passing by them. It's moving upstream and it's under the water, whatever it is. But what he said, it was a giant black wedge shaped object and they couldn't make sense of it. It looked like a, a floating debris, a log. They couldn't really tell. Well, the, the, the object positioned itself. It seemed to kind of maneuver itself towards the bank. And then the, the way he described it made sense. It just, he suddenly realized what he was looking at was a giant eye. And it was, a verti- it was an eye with a vertical slit in it. And he realized that this massive black thing that he's seeing in the water is the head of a snake. And when he, content- when he realized how this thing, how big it was, I mean, he just... everybody kind of froze up when they saw what it was. Well, there was a bunch of cattle grazing near the water. Well, this 80 foot snake then proceeds to slide out of the water and attack the cattle while they're standing off in the bushes, watching this whole thing. Um, His team leader told them, do not open fire. Like they're all probably freaked out and terrified at this point. Um, Then they just watch as it basically, it it didn't even, it was, it was like a constrictor type snake, right? Like a giant anaconda, but this thing is way bigger, obviously than anything they've ever seen. And it basically crushed one of the cattle with its head and then carried it back into the water. And he said the whole thing maybe took about two minutes. Um, And they said that they did afterwards. They were obviously like, now that the danger was gone, they were a little bit curious, like guys would be, 
And they started arguing about how big it was. They, he said they paced it out from the, the edge of the water where its tail had been estimated to where the head had been by the time it had fully left the water. Uh, he said it was about 75, 80 Holy feet. Cow. Gentlemen, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We have one segment left with Simon, Rich, and Mikey for Bedtime Stories. And from their sister channel, Wartime Stories, we have Luke. And we're going to continue on with this great conversation about the strange and weird that is going around this world on a daily basis. Make sure you go on YouTube, hit subscribe to Wartime Stories and Bedtime Stories. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button on our channel, what are you waiting for? Spaced Out Radio continues right after this. All right, gents, we have a total of five minutes here. Five minutes before uh, we um, come back from break. This is great. I'm enjoying myself. Holy cow, indeed, by the way. Because it killed a cow. Uh, Rich, I'm going to bow out. I have multiple children clawing at the door to get in for breakfast now. So okay, I'll fair enough. All leave. right. Good morning I've, to you, I've, and thank you, Simon. Cheers. No worries. Good you see you, Simon. See ya. That's awesome. Chill. Daddy, make us breakfast. Let's do this thing. It's Saturday. Got, yeah, we've both got five children each, so... Uh, I've got I, three. I suspect, <laughs> yeah, uh, Mikey's got one, so all dads now. But um, I suspect mine will be coming down at some point uh, soon. But normally they don't wake up before half seven, so we should be okay. <laughs> well, that's quite yeah. okay. You guys have been awesome so far. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, guys. No worries. It's been a pleasure. I hit uh, subscribe on your channel, too, for Wartime Stories. Thanks. I saw that. No, I've been watching. I saw that one coming. That's me. That's me. (laughs) Spent all day just staring at that number. Come on. Luke, when did you start your channel? Um, Technically two years ago, um, but I started it really without Rich's permission to be, to be quite honest. I just, you know, I, there's no rules with this thing, but I, I started it inspired by his channel I made my first two episodes, you know, I started like, I had to figure out how to do everything. I didn't know how to do the animations. I didn't. So I kind of used his channel as like a rubric and I was like, well, how did he do this? And how does he uh, put all this stuff together? That took me a few months. Um, And then, so it technically started, you know, around this time, 2020, but then it wasn't until maybe August that I had actually had two videos up. And then I had maybe 10, 13 subscribers. Um, My friends and family, Welcome to Seaspire Country, home of unlimited with cash back. Use less than two gigs of data a month, and we'll take $10 off your next bill. And that's on every line. So four lines could save you 40 bucks every single month. Unlimited data when you need it, cash back when you don't. Seems right, seems fair, and only Seaspire offers it. So stop paying for data you don't use and switch to life in Seaspire Country. It's just like the rest of the country, only a few steps ahead. See Seaspire.com for details. Hi, this is Amanda DeCadene from VS Voices. Victoria's Secret and I are committed to sharing the stories of trailblazing individuals, giving them a platform and amplifying their voices. Listen to my conversations with Haley Bieber, Naomi Osaka, Bella Hadid, Megan Rapino, Stella McCartney, and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. 
we were raised in different parts of the world with the same beliefs and the same value system and neither having an idea of each other's careers because we were both so busy building our own careers at that time i didn't know much about the jonas brothers he definitely didn't know much about me so it it was really interesting when we got together to sort of not just have our cultures marry and clash but to also be able to peel layers of getting to know each other's lives season 2 of vs voices is coming soon to iheart radio apple podcasts and wherever you choose to listen season 1 is available now And I hope you'll follow me on social media at Amanda Decadene to talk about the episodes. And, but I started like I was still watching bedtime stories, and it was just it was already nagging me that this looks way too similar to bedtime stories for me to be like to think this is okay. So I thought, well, if I'm going to continue with this, I should at least let them know. I I'd maybe I didn't probably ask. I just said, hey, thanks for the inspiration, <laughs> and hopefully, you know, I was. I didn't think they were going to respond, but Rich wrote me back, and he's like, "Well, yeah, you basically copied the channel." Um, yeah, thanks for but, that. I appreciate that. Yeah, but you don't. But you're I, I not. Believe, I believe it was. I'm going to be as diplomatic, diplomatic as, I can. as possible. I'm trying to paint you in a good light. <laughs> he was a little bit ticked, which, I, yeah, I did. I don't know. I mean, I, like if you know, if Rembrandt had had somebody copy his work and say, "Hey, I hope you don't mind," you know, because he he spent years building this. Um, and I'm glad I did, uh, because honestly, I was probably scared to do it when I did. But it, you know, he, he emailed me back, and I got initially. I read his email, and I was like, "Uh oh!" Was just my stomach, you know, my stomach sunk, and I was like, "Oh boy!" But he offered me the offer of a lifetime, and he said, "Well, you're not terrible at it. So what if I just took you on as a partner channel? So you would have to make all of your branding, your you know, the the type fonts and everything, your your logo, your emblem would have to match bedtime stories. So you would basically be our sister channel, but then you could have the freedom to create whatever you wanted, you know. So." And it gave me exposure to his subscribers, and I was like, "I I'd, I'd be an idiot to say no." So thank you for the opportunity, and here we are two years later, technically. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Good for you. That's and awesome. and you keep all the revenue as well. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. It's <laughs> not yet a livable income, but I'm getting there faster than I expected. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm and I, and then I have to thank you again, Rich, because I look at other channels. I don't know what YouTube takes for exposure. You know, I'm obviously getting kind of these little spurts and stuff, but. Yeah, it's, it does take a lot of time. I think.、Um, mm-hmm. I think you said you had like a few videos that you made that were just kind of the right timing, and that was kind of what blew、yeah. up the channel. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 our big break came from Yuba City. You know, the、um, I don't know if you know where this one, Dave. It's a story that's set in、um, uh, Yuba County in California, and it's about five、um, five guys who went missing.、Uh, it's it's referred to as America's Jet Love Pass Incident. Mm. Um, and we did a video on it, and at the time we did it, it, it was fairly unheard of. Not many people had,、uh, were aware of it. And then、uh, a bigger podcast sort of did an episode on it. With I think they had something like five hundred thousand subscribers. And the first thing they did after hearing their episode was come to YouTube and look for more information. And whose video pops up? As and we kind of just steamrolled from there. We got hundred thousand subscribers within a few months after that. So good、yeah. for you. It only takes one. It only takes one,、yeah. and that and that's the reality of it.、Uh, we got twenty seconds, guys. Thank you to Smithy D Cohen, Shelly Cat Chaser, and Angel for the amazing super chats tonight. We very much appreciate the love. And if you're looking for any swag, go to our website, spacedoutradio.com. We got some great shirts there as well. Here we go, everyone.
We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram, at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok, at Spaced Out Radio. From the popular YouTube channel, Bedtime Stories, we have Rich and Mikey here with us. And from their sister channel, Wartime Stories, we have Luke, as we are talking true stories that people are experiencing around the world and it's always fascinating rich to find people who are willing to talk about what happened to them out of all the stories that you guys get on a daily basis from people how many of them do you throw in the garbage because you're like no this is fake or it can't be real um to be honest, we don't throw anything out. Uh, the, the only time if we pass on something, it's usually because there's not much substance to it, as in um, there's not enough really there to make an episode out of. Um, but certainly one of the creepiest ones that we got uh, was about shadow people in hospitals. And it was this. Uh, it was regarding this um, lady who'd gone in for a, a routine sort of, I think, keyhole surgery. So she wasn't. You know, she wasn't too uh, uncomfortable and she wasn't on too many painkillers or whatever. Um, but she was struggling with sleep and she I think she missed about three days worth of sleep in the end. And over time, she began to see these shadow people walking around the hospital ward that she was on and whispering in people's ears. And the people who, the, you know, the, the, these uh, recipients of these messages or whatever, they seemed completely unaware that some black shape was leaning over their shoulder and whispering in their ears um but yeah i just found that really really creepy for some reason i've had experience with shadow people in the past myself so well you yeah, gotta you, a... you can't say you had that experience and not share with us well in the the house where i used to to live uh, many years back um me and my girlfriend had lots of weird experiences in that house it was sort of bumps and uh and bangs and doors that used to slam and things that would fall off shelves and it would always occur out of sight you know you'd always hear the the um the effect and then you'd go to where you heard the sound and you'd find something had fallen off a shelf which you know you know couldn't possibly have fallen off a shelf but it started to manifest into other things like we woke up one night and there were footsteps walking around the bed um which was really, really freaky. Both of us heard it. We both sat up in bed and we heard these footsteps. And then one one time when I was uh, away uh, working uh, one of the weekends, um, actually, sorry, it wasn't it wasn't the weekend. It was midweek. I was doing a, an event down in London. I used to work in marketing, and I went down to make sure all the uh, branding was okay and everything like that. My uh, my girlfriend gave me a, a call at sort of two o'clock in the morning. Uh, saying that there was a shadow person that, that she woke up and there was a shadow person standing right next to the bed. Oh my! And the weird thing, yeah, the weird thing about it was uh, it was short, but probably four foot tall. And she said the head was really big, like almost like a gray alien. And I've heard like theories about shadow people actually being 
alien in nature rather than uh, rather than ghostly. So, yeah, um, that was that was kind of freaky as well. <laughs> Luke, I'm going to ask you regarding your channel, Wartime Stories. There's a story that I have been looking for for a long mm. time, and there's really hard hard. I've had a hard time trying to find information on it. Maybe you heard about it. It happened during the Vietnam War where allegedly a B-52 bomber was shot down by a UFO. Have you ever heard hmm. that story? No, actually. Now I'm curious. Um, Yeah, Rich did an episode good. on UFOs. We did, we did. did you do that one? Yeah, we did that. We covered that I in that. Um, like Enemy, Enemy Unknown. We've got an episode called Enemy Unknown, and we we did the B fifty two story. Was that no? Okay, I'm, that is that the one I read? Uh, no, that would have been Enemy because uh, we did okay. two follow-ups. Exactly. Because I remember the one inside the plane with the, that missed that yeah. filled up the plane and everything. But I'm trying to think of. Yeah, that was that was Enemy Unknown. You did the one you did was Enemy Unseen, and because I, I remember you did the one about the UFOs that were attacking the patrol boats. In Vietnam, yeah, that, that was yeah. the same that one. Same episode, same, okay, yeah, because you, you, yeah. you, you kind of composite those multiple experiences within one episode. Got it. Yeah, yep. So he did it. So maybe maybe you could ask Rich that question. Well, what were you able to learn on that, Rich? Because I have been trying to find information on that, not not to study or put out there, but it's just one of those stories that has absolutely intrigued me, and I've only ever seen it once. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was mentioned briefly on a few websites, and then when we delved into it further, we found out the guy's name who originally reported it was somebody called uh, William English, who's a captain, um, and he was sent into the jungle to. Sorry, I'm not um, telling you what you already know. I hope. No, um, no, go right ahead. Awesome. Fill in the audience. All right, okay. So he was deployed. Uh, a certain distance away from the Laotian border to go in and, and try and find this B-52 based on the last radar contact that they had. And they found it probably two or three miles behind, beyond the um, Laotian border. And it was sitting uh, upright in the forest. Um, uh, the only thing that seemed to be damaged on it was the undercarriage. Um, all the ports were still closed and locked and they had to uh, blast through to get contact uh, to, to get um, access to it um, and when they went in they found the five or six crew members I can't remember uh, exactly but they were all completely mutilated as if they'd been hit by an energy weapon almost and they're, they're just their bodies are just burst kind of thing um, it, it didn't they said it didn't resemble the kind of damage you'd see from a impact and not only that there wasn't enough damage to the plane itself uh, to 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 suggest that it had crash landed in the in the forest, it was almost like it had been levitated and just dropped, and it had damaged the undercarriage as it had done so. But yeah, wow, yeah, wow, that story just fascinates me, absolutely fascinates me. All right, let's get to a couple questions here from our audience. Kira would like to know: Have any of you guys done stories on portals and found out where they're located? Um, we kind of, we've kind of touched on portals uh, with the Skinwalker Ranch stuff. Um, I don't know if you if you if you're aware, but when they were studying Skinwalker Ranch, when the NIDS team was studying um, going in and, and trying to find out what was going on there in the '90s, they got a number of remote viewers to 
view the location, which is something I want to come back to actually, because uh, it's an episode we're going to do going forward, which is really interesting. I want to talk about, but um, yeah, these remote viewers basically saw portals in their viewings of the location, particularly in the southwest of the property. They said there's something evil and very just otherworldly there. Um, And another incident involving portals was uh, one of these disappearances in the woods where I think it was a ranger who was walking through doing a patrol. He walked around a corner and his foot went, his foot just disappeared. And he was kind of looked down, uh, you know, very strange. And then he retracted his foot and it reappeared again. And it was almost like he was almost stepped through into a, into a portal kind of thing. So that's one of the stories we're going to feature in this, uh, you know, these near misses of people going missing in the woods. Right on. Let's get to another question here from Cindy, who is asking, what specific topic do you receive the most stories on? I would say ghosts, ghosts and hauntings. Personally, I've been getting a lot more. I, I think it's inspired a lot uh, by the, the stories that are posted. Um, so for me, I kind of delved into a lot of UFO territory within the last several episodes. And so I've been getting a lot of UFOs. But with the most recent ghost episode, I've also been getting now more ghost stories coming in. So UFOs probably for me, at least in recent, the last few months. I'm curious, Rich, for you, I mean, considering you're searching and scouring for any time of old war stories that are out there, do you notice a lot more UFOs compared to monsters and ghosts from the battlefield? You mean me or Rich? Yeah, I'm sorry, Luke, you. Yeah, no worries. And and I should say that just because mine's wartime story, he, Rich still does war stories. That, yeah. uh, you know, we're not, we kind of work independently. I'm just the Marine Corps guy that said, Hey, I want to do war stories and specialize in that. But um, to answer your question so far, yeah. Um, I, I've had far more, so, whether Navy, Army, Marine Corps, Air Force um, that have shared UFO sightings than they have anything else. Certainly um, monsters are few and far between. Um, at least so far, I mean, I, I, but collectively, yeah, UFOs are so common that it's like, like for being someone that said he didn't really think UFOs were real. I'm like, okay, well now I'm like, <laughs> I can't help but to acknowledge, and especially with recent news and everything and the government coming out and media acknowledging it, it's kind of undeniable at this point that they're real. But the question is now, what are they? Um, so I've started to explore that a little bit in my episodes. What kind of craft or, or, soldiers or pilots or navy seamen seeing um i did two episodes where there was a soldier that was stationed on fort campbell in kentucky in the 1980s and there was the first instance he saw a diamond shaped craft he he said it was cube shaped but i took his meaning to mean diamond shaped um because he said it did have a a a, like a, a center right that had lights around it and in effect it was identical in most regards to the the cash landrum incident um so he saw it once from his parking lot outside of his barracks as he was he was taking his laundry and he'd been out to the laundromat and he, he parked his car and he was as he was walking in he saw this you know cube shaped um diamond shaped ufo floating around the back 40 the back area of the base with helicopters chinook helicopters similar to the cash landrum incident that were on site uh, look, they looked like they were pursuing it. And then he later again saw it up close because he he ended up uh, being assigned to the military police. 
Um, and he saw it sitting over top of a radio tower and he, he was within probably, you know, several hundred meters of it. Um, so like kind of these, what, what's the word geometrically shaped? I've gotten stories from about geometrically shaped UFOs, whether triangular or, um, triangular seem like three lights in a, you know, three lights in a formation like that, a perfect triangle formation, um, or in daylight seeing these sort of, uh, either spherical, like egg shaped or, geometrically, you know, heck, uh, I think maybe I had one hexagon shape, but I don't think it was a soldier that sent it. Um, and then mostly just lights, mostly like orbs of light. And, and that, and I, I'm, I'm sort of bouncing between, well, a lot of these things take place at night. So are these lights attached to a craft or are they these independent floating orbs of light and very distinct from, from military flares? I've gotten some flare stories and they're obviously military flares, but then there's these other kinds of, of orbs of light that don't seem to make sense um, being anything man-made. So good friend of mine, Eric from Washington state, he served as a medic during the first Gulf war in 91. And he was telling me stories about how at night they'd watch the black triangles come in and they didn't know whether it was ours or theirs or from somewhere else. He goes, but they were massive, and they were sitting right over top of the bases and everything. And and when he pointed it out to senior officers, uh, he was told to just shut up about it and don't worry about it. That's pretty standard. Oh yeah, mm. being a former yeah. military. Yes, uh, sorry, being a Luke, being a former military guy now, I'm curious. What is your take on all this UFO uh, hubbub coming out of Washington D.C.? Mm, well, it's, you know, it's either we're getting to the point where it's undeniable. I mean, there's obviously the conspiracy that they're trying to draw our attention away from, from the government, right? Like, just guess, stop looking at us. Like, here, look, look, some UFOs. Like, look, look, you know, like anything. Um, it, it's kind of getting to the point where it's hard to deny it. You know, why they would come out and acknowledge it. Stay, you know, I should say stay tuned. Um, because I had a guy, not military, a guy who lives in Georgia, email me a story um, from his experience uh, with UFOs, it's taken into context. If if everything is to be taken seriously, it's absolutely terrifying. And and he has a theory. Um, and so I can't claim to own this theory, but his theory is that they are preparing us for something that is about to happen, which a visitation. Um, they are, you know, because it would obviously be outright panic if there was this large scale, you know, visitation of these alien crafts um but the, the government is in essence getting people ready their mindset ready so it won't be such a shock yes you would yeah. be from my sources you would be very on to something there yeah very on to something i i was gonna say i've also heard that you know it could be just a psyop um and that they'll, they'll use holograms and things to kind of stage some sort of this is a conspiracy theory, by the way. Uh, stage some sort of alien invasion, which I find kind of comical, but also, again, being the open-minded kind of guy I am, <laughs> I take everything with a, you know, a pinch of salt kind of thing. But um, I was just, uh, I was just going to interject uh, when Luke was talking about uh, the triangles in uh, Iraq or, or wherever it was, Afghanistan, was it? Or, yeah, anyway. there's been UFO sightings in Afghanistan, Iraq, both of them. Yeah, they, they always seem to be sort of drawn to warfare and um, combat scenarios that kind of seem to pop up more prominently in those situations. Yeah, it's weird how they seem to like the entertainment of us killing ourselves. 
You know, Mr. Eon, who literally has a voice of the gods and is from the UK, he's asking if you are entertaining any guest storytellers. We've done so in the past. I mean, Luke's come on and done a couple of episodes for Bedtime Stories, and we've had the guy from um, Top Fives, which is a big uh, YouTube channel. I think they've got three, three and a half million subscribers or something like that. So, uh, yeah, we'd be open to the idea. I, I think typically, if my experience is correct, Rich, it's usually, I mean, with me being the exception, right? Because mine was a, a war story and you were you were helping me out. You were like, hey, it's, we did a war story, but Luke's doing war stories now. So, let, But in past, it's usually been, it's been their story, right? They're narr- like, they've, like the guy from Kentucky asked to narrate his own story. Um, I know you've had other, maybe at least one or two other episodes with a different narrator, but I maybe don't know the backstory on those. Hmm. Yeah, there was. Uh, uh, as far as I'm aware, I think the only other one we did was the the top fives guy. Okay. So, so. Yeah. Glenn would like to know, uh, Rich, are you planning any more channels? Uh, well, we've got a number of. Simon's got his own channel called Unexplained Encounter, mm. which is. Um, oh, sorry, is it un- Unclassified Encounter? Sorry, Unclassified Encounter. Un- unclassified Encounter, which. Um, that's all fictional stories based around a, a World War Two, and uh, you know it's really good stuff to be honest. But um, yeah, if that's his, his kind of side project that he does by himself. Um, but as far as we're concerned, me, Luke, and Simon are actually looking at doing a, a sci-fi channel. So nothing to do with bedtime stories, really. It's, it's a graphic novel, um, which we're going to convert into a YouTube series. It's going to have um, the whole voice cast, the whole score. And um, sound effects and everything as we pan from one uh, cell within the graphic novel to another, trying to tell a story, kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's not it's not really anything to do with what we're talking about now. Well, that's great, guys. That's great. We got five and a half minutes to go here, Rich. I- I'm going to put the-, the ball back in your court here for a second. It's time to recognize you, you sausage-loving genius. For without you, how would we know that Eckridge smoked sausage can be eaten thrice in one day and that you can take your lunch break before noon? Mm-hmm. Here's to you, Eckridge smoked sausage. You do you. Here's to you, permanent resident of the snack table. For without you, how would we know that a bun is merely a vessel for delivering Eckridge smoked sausage to your mouth and that there's no shame in being the first to get seconds? Mm. Here's to you, Eckridge Smoked Sausage. You do you. Because out of the hundreds, if not thousands of stories you guys have accomplished over the years, is there one that really sticks out to you, whether it's scary, whether it just felt a little too close to home that you would share with us? Um, I've always been fascinated by the Flannan Isles mystery. And I know that might be a disappointment because it's, you know, it's just a disappearance on, on an island. But it's it's the fact that the island was so isolated. They were on cliffs that were two to 300 feet above the water, and yet they vanished um, into thin air around 1900, this was. Also, the Dyatlov Pass incident has always kind of held a, a kind of... Um, I've always had an affinity for it. I just uh, really find that one interesting. How about for you, Luke? Is there a story that you've done that's really stuck with you? Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I would have to say the the more recent episodes that I've done because everything it was much more personal. 
um, because the gentleman whose stories they were, were was somebody that I was actually talking to. And it wasn't just something I found on the Internet and did a little research and kind of put a story together. Um, and, and honestly, I, I would pick out one of his stories, but it is the collection. It is, it's like his collective experience because he had four different call them experiences to, you know, two, two UFO encounters that were essentially the same UFO seen twice within the space of about eight months. And then the giant snake in Honduras. Um, and then there was just, there was a, a helicopter crash that he came upon while he was on duty uh, on Fort Campbell during the night patrol. And basically this, this elite, you know, blacked out, um, you know, unit of, of our soldiers showed up and treated the, treated the crash light like it was something a lot more, um, secret than it, than it should have been. Like, uh, you know, I, even I had a buddy that died in a, in a crash on Fort Campbell and that story kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it related to me, but yeah, his, his collection of those four stories mm-hmm. and going from his t- first one in Honduras and then being moved to Fort Campbell because of, he basically was told to shut up and stay quiet after, after Honduras. And because he did, they think he gave him his duty station because he grew up in Tennessee um, at Fort Campbell to kind of say, Hey, thanks for, for shutting up. And so let, we'll station in your family for the last part of your, your, your enlistment. But then he had these other three strange experiences on Fort Campbell. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I had the, he saw Bigfoot on Fort Campbell. That was the other one. So mm-hmm. UFO, Bigfoot, giant snake and, and, and crashed helicopter. And it was, he's a guy that's just comes off as somebody who's been told to shut up his entire life. And and that that stuck with me because he's somebody that actually made me start to question my own doubts in these things even being real. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And how about for you Mikey? You've done enough drawing now. Is is there a a scene or a story that really sticks out to you as a as an artist for the Bedtime Stories network? Well, yeah, there are a lot of um, images I've done that um, I really enjoyed, um, like uh, the Michigan dogman. Um, that's what refers to creatures. Uh, uh, but uh, also a lot of uh, you know, like atmosphere stuff uh, that I've done, like different. Uh, Scenes that capture this uh, atmosphere, weather conditions, and this, uh, you know, this creepy feeling. Uh, I also uh, like images uh, uh, that I, you know, that I must uh, create the concept of the creature. Like, uh, you know, there are episodes that are uh, based on some, um, let's say, some real images, but uh, some things I must create from my own, you know, like from imagination. Oh, very, very much so. so. I like really, I like really concepting the creatures. <clears throat> I don't blame you. Gentlemen, we have about one minute left, and, and Rich, Mikey, and Luke, I know we didn't have you for a long time, but it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on here and get to know you guys. Uh, if you don't mind, Rich, let us know where we can find your channel and how we can get a hold of you. Uh, yeah, okay. So the, the channel's on YouTube. I think the, the link is Creepy Bedtime Stories. So youtube.com uh, forward slash Creepy Bedtime Stories. And then obviously we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, I mean, if you're searching for us, you'll find us. Yeah, we should pop up in the search. And, and Luke, 30 seconds for you. 
Same for me, youtube.com forward slash wartime stories. Um, and you're probably going to reach me quicker by email because I check my emails every day. I'm bad at social media. Wartimestories.yt at gmail.com. And my contact information is linked all over my my videos and my page. So Wonderful. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you on Spaced Out Radio for the first time, hopefully not the last, because I love talking these kinds of stories, guys. And I know it's early over in the U.K., but thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp, another spooky story from the resident swamp dweller. Then Fedora John comes in. For the unbiased UFO report, Shirky Poo's got the news. Hour three of Spaced Out Radio, coming up right after this. Great show, gentlemen. Great show. Thank you very much for having us. That was a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks, right. Dave. No problem. Yeah, I was was the most important. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I really appreciate it, and I and like I said, I love listening to stories like this, and uh, you know, I, I encourage all of our audience to go support you guys as well. So, you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time with us. No problem, and we'll be happy to do it again. Should you invite us on? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go enjoy breakfast, guys. Not you, Luke. Bedtime. No, I'm going to I'm going to go, yeah, have a beer and go to bed. All right, boys. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Take care. All right. I like those guys. Bye, Mike. All right. I like those guys. They're a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Hour three coming up next. Hi, Chris Mo. How you doing?
All right. We got about a minute here. Hi, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Super Duke. It's almost swamped out radio time. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Who's ready for a little swamped out radio? I have no idea what this is, Swampy, but if you want to do a show on Spaced Out Radio, I will provide the microphone. How about that? I'll put the uh, offer out there publicly. I am not interviewing Ronald Moorhead. Uh, The cryptid huntress Jessica Jones is, so we're going to have a good time with her. like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor third and final hour of spaced out radio is now underway thank you so much for taking the time to join us we really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call earth Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around north america and digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Azimus. Azimus is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again, where we head to the swamp, our resident swamp dweller takes us on a journey of another spooky story. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. This is a short story, but 100% true. Roughly about seven or eight years ago, I was in a relationship. Let's call him James. James lived in a big house, which he shared with his brother, his brother's wife, and their kids. James had his own section of the house with a bedroom, bathroom, hallway, and set of stairs to go downstairs into the main part of the house and access to the garage. I would mostly sleep over on weekends as we lived about 45 minutes apart and I worked in the city. Before I begin with the story in detail, let me give you a layout of the bedroom. 
The bed's headboard was against a wall with a window to the right and glass sliding doors to the right as well, which opened into the upstairs porch. A big screen TV was in front of the bed to the left of the TV was a small hallway which led to a set of stairs that go downstairs. To the left of the bed, about seven feet, was a glass table, an entertainment center, which had a stereo system on top of it, which is key to the story. We always slept in the dark, but the TV and cable did illuminate a little bit of the room, because the lights and buttons all had LEDs. One night, which was just a regular night, nothing odd or out of the normal, James and I went to sleep. Keep in mind we were not drunk or high or under the influences of any other drug, and nor did we do any of those. I remember suddenly waking up feeling very uncomfortable. As I laid there on my back, staring at the ceiling, trying to figure out what was going on, I couldn't help but notice the feeling of a dense dread and doom. It felt like something was bearing into my soul. I looked over to my left and James was fast asleep. As I was turning my head to the ceiling, my eyes caught a glimpse of something in the left corner of the wall by the entertainment system. As I looked over, I could see a big black mass and I immediately leapt out of my bed, yelling, No, no, no. That immediately woke James up. And immediately after that, the entire power of the house goes off and the smoke alarms start blaring. As the smoke alarms are emanating this loud, shrieking noise, I ran over to the hallway and was hysterically crying from pure fear. As I explained to James what I saw and what was happening to the best of my ability, as James was consoling me, he looked white in the face. After what seemed like an eternity, the smoke alarms finally stopped blaring and the power turned back on. As the TV and cable system lit up again, but that was the only light except for the moon. As we walked back to the bed and lay down, I still didn't feel right. I turned to look, and that black mass was still there. I sat up and faced my back to that wall, and James started to pray for whatever was in the room to go away. Eventually, from pure exhaustion, we fell asleep. The next morning, we were trying to figure out what had happened, and James told me something that literally sends a chill down to my spine every time I talk about it. James said he didn't want to tell me this last night, but when the power went off, James looked at the entertainment center and the stereo system was turned on with the words that said, Hello, written across the screen. To this day, I can't figure out what the hell that thing was. Hello, Swamp Dweller. I hope you are well. I really enjoy listening to your channel and listening to the many different stories you narrate on it which is why I've decided to share mine. Although I don't know where to start as it has been quite a long time since this happened, I was nine years old when it went down. To give you a little background on me, I am a female, currently 31 years old. I grew up in the Middle East, to be more specific, in Oman, which is where my stories take place. I am the second oldest of four. My father's house is a three-story villa in a large city that I will not name for privacy reasons. The ground floor of the villa is split into two even apartments. Both sides have three bedrooms, two bathrooms. The second floor is where I and my family grew up, and the third floor is the maid's quarters and then the rooftop. I remember growing up with my older sister, 
who suffer from very bad night terrors. She'd wake up the whole house with her screaming. This happened quite often. I'd say at least two to three times a week. I honestly think for her well-being, my parents sent her to Florida to live with my grandmother when she turned 13 years old. After my older sister was gone, I believe whatever it was was tormenting her at night, started tormenting me. You see, my father's house becomes very alive at night. We would hear pots and pans clanking and kitchen cabinets creaking open and slamming shut, footsteps running in the corridors of the house. But when we go and check to see who it is, there is no one there, and everyone is sound asleep throughout the house. As I have mentioned earlier, my sister is gone now. I have recently started hearing whispers. I couldn't make up what the whispers were as I tried my best to ignore them. However, I believe me ignoring whatever it was made it worse. I remember waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I was being watched. This kept on happening for quite a while. It was happening to not just me, but my siblings. They were also expressing fears. We all went to our parents and told them about these fears, and they decided that they will resolve the issue by buying nightlights for each bedroom. That way, none of us were sleeping in complete darkness. The nightlight sure made it a lot easier to fall asleep, and it was okay for a while. Skipping forward to my early teen years, I remember waking up at 3am because I really needed to go pee. I remember this night very well because it was very engraved in my mind. I woke up looking at the nightstand and the clock read 3am on the dot. I recall stumbling my way to the bedroom door to open it, and I heard what sounded like running footsteps headed toward the bathroom. Thinking to myself, huh, my sister must be up too and running toward the bathroom. So I opened my bedroom door so quietly and looked to my right, which is where my younger sister's room is. Her door was shut. I thought that was odd. If she was running to the bathroom, her door should be open. I opened her door and saw that she was sound asleep. So I closed it and proceeded to head to the bathroom, which is about 30 steps to the left of my bedroom door. Your business depends on protecting your sensitive data, but your data is everywhere. Introducing Sky High Security. We extend security beyond data access to data use, protecting your data anywhere you do business. Sky High Security. Your happiest spring starts with Lowe's. Shop now for your favorite brands and everything you need to spruce up your home, lawn, and garden. Like top-selling riding mowers from John Deere, self-propelled mowers from Honda, and customizable storage solutions from ClosetMade. Roll out that new mower, bring out that spring wardrobe, and bring on spring. Shop in-store, online, or through our app today. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Way down the corridor, I stopped dead in my tracks because I started hearing the clinking of pots and pans, kitchen cabinets opening and closing, and that made me call out for my youngest sibling, my brother. As soon as I said his name, everything stopped and I heard the bathroom door creak open. And I kid you not... Three dark figures with red glowing eyes floated out of the bathroom toward me. These figures were like no face from Spirited Away, but without the mask, and two of them were so tall. They had to crouch down, creating an upside-down L shape as they tried to fit between the space of the floor and the ceiling. I froze in fear as they floated past me. As I was not even there, it's almost like they didn't even notice me. I was so scared to make a sound that I thought... 
Maybe they just didn't see me. I don't know. I waited for what felt like forever before I turned around to see that they were gone. I didn't go to the bathroom. Instead, I ran back to my bedroom and held the urge to pee until I heard my maid come in and get things ready for breakfast. This is what set things in motion, because from that night or morning on, I kept waking up at 3am on the dot, always seeing a cloud-like shadow with red glowing beady eyes bouncing at the foot of my bed. I would have nightmares that I am falling into an endless black abyss and jolt out of my sleep, and of course it's always 3am, and that little thing will be bouncing at the foot of my bed. Sometimes, it's the small figure, other times it's the big one. They're always glaring at me though from the darkest corner of my bedroom. This kept on for what felt like forever until things progressed a bit and now my bedroom became a playground for these entities. I started to suffer from severe depression and I would hear whispers telling me to end my life. Things got worse after my parents separated and my mom moved to the United States. My depression got worse and the reoccurring dream of me falling into a black abyss started to become more and more realistic. I've started to do badly at school since I've started to stay awake all night. These entities started to get into my head, and I've tried to end my life a couple of times, but thanks to my maid, I am still here. There have been so many incidents at my father's house that I'll send to you. I just thought these entities take the cake as they have changed my life forever. I ended up leaving my dad's house and moving to the United States at the age of 15. I have had the falling down the dark abyss nightmares for a while after the big move. I sleep with some sort of nightlight on all the time, and some sort of background noise is always playing these days. Usually it's your show, playing on my YouTube app on my boyfriend's TV. I have a hard time falling asleep and still suffer from severe depression and anxiety. However, I do think it's a combination of the things that went bump in the night and life in general. Now I live in Florida. I no longer see these figures, but I think my experience made me much more aware of the paranormal. Wonderful story from our main man, Swamp Dweller, in the spooky story category. Of course, Swamp Dweller joins us every Monday through Friday night with a spooky tale, and we absolutely love him around here. Make sure you head on over to his channel on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and you can hear one of the many thousands of stories he has from reports just like you're having at home. All right, let us get to John Hudson, the fedora-wearing wonder, and the unbiased UFO report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. The fedora wearing wonder. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Dave. How about you, man? I I'm doing good. I had a good day today, man. I had a really I'm good, good day I'm today. Glad to hear it. Yeah, so and, you're in a good mood, having having a good time. So. Well, today was one of the first days in a while I actually didn't fall asleep at my desk in my daytime job, so I was uh, pretty happy with I'm, that. I bet your boss is pretty happy too. Yeah, probably. Probably considering yeah. the last time I fell asleep, he was the one who yeah. woke me yeah. up. Yeah, but but you 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 will find that the the, the happier that you are, um, the the more happiness happens around you. It's um, 
it's it's really quite it's really quite astounding. It's, I've even experimented with this in that um, during the you know during uh, some of these downturns, you'd have all these like really you know desperate people calling you for all these different reasons, and I would you know occasionally just if I had time stop and, and try to start up a conversation with them and just you know really listen to them, be kind. And you would not believe some of the friends I made. I made these two friends over in Jamaica. They were like they were so nice to me after that. It was crazy. And all I did was just like I honestly I swear to you, all I was was kind and listened. That was it. That's all I did. It was so crazy. It's really funny how much positivity you can get out of a little positivity. I agree with you there, my friend. I agree with you there. Hey, everybody seems to be getting a little warmed up and ready for Tuesday. It's Christmas in May for the UFO crowd, at least for some of us. And I'll tell you, there's... There's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of stories brewing, a lot of rumors and conjecture out there. Will Lou Elizondo be in those hearings? Will he not? Will he be behind the scenes? Or will he be at home drinking a glass of wine, watching the proceedings from Wyoming? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I guess my one question is, Dave, is that we could talk about this for hours so uh, are you sure you want to hit this first? Well, no, we'll hit it second after the break, because I know that we're going to take some time on that. Let's start off with Coastal Rica. What's this one about? Uh, uh, um, well, basically, uh, oh, no, that's a lovely, that's a lovely um, uh, mis, mis- uh, label. You mean Costa Rica? Um, no, what this is, is a, yeah, sorry, Costa Rica. Um, this is a um, another one of these really interesting cases, because, like I said, I really don't know how to way historical data fairly in the in the, these these this this is a picture this is a high quality uh, high resolution picture and um and it but it is from 1971 so a little bit about the picture first so uh september 4th 1971 aboard a two engine aero commander f680 aeroplane an automated camera captured an image of a flying saucer which today has yet to be debunked um, and, you know, and it goes on to talk about the, the altitude and, and, you know, we have all this information on it and, um, it is, it is a, it is a beautiful picture. I will agree. Um, however, to me, very much like another picture that I showed just recently, um, I, I, I guess, I guess from the point of view of, 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 of spending energy where you're going to get payout for it. Right. Um, I just wonder what is the value in 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 really putting a lot of energy into some of these old photos like i would love to think that there was i would love to think that we could go back and and reprocess some old photo and suddenly move the needle in some way but that's not ever what i've seen i mean look what's happened with with patterson gimlin the 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 new uh, freaking 4k 100 frames per second video is insane and no one cares so I just don't know how valuable this is, but it sucks because it's very interesting and it's a really, really good picture. And the fact that it's sitting here since 71 without anyone having any real serious swipes at it, you know, doesn't mean it's definitely anything, but it certainly leans a lot of credibility to the fact that it's not something known. Well, I, I want to ask you, with this photo, because we do have a lot of people in Radioland who will be like, what's this photo John talking about? Describe this photo for us, if you don't mind. So this is this is an overhead photo, and this this looks very very much like the photo I, I talked about before. So if it's a repeat, I, I apologize. But basically, I mean, it's it's basically an overhead photo of a coastline, 
and there is a, a basically a flying disc in in one uh, in one frame of it, and it's an incredibly spooky looking flying disc because it's really 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 normal looking. Like it almost looks like if you were to go into your kitchen and say, "Hey, I need to make a UFO," and someone said, "Okay, here," and handed you a pan and you threw it and they snapped the picture. Like that's what you'd expect this to be. It, it's that. It's almost um, cliche in its its in how it looks, right? It's almost um, it's almost a caricature of itself in a way um, because it is such the stereotypical um, and um, and and very much like um, uh, like some other pictures that, that I've talked about recently. You know, um, there's lots of interesting debate about you know um, camera angles and and so forth. But we have a lot of information on this picture: the altitude, the fact that you know the the it was the. Uh, shots were taken for 20 seconds you know we, we actually have a lot of data on this on this film and um and the thing is is that once again while i find this very interesting i i think it's i can totally geek out over this i don't really know if anyone else cares you know what i mean i like like fundamentally like i don't know like if this is something that like would would it's i don't think this is going to change anyone's mind no, I, I don't see it changing anybody's mind. To be honest with you, to me, it looks Photoshopped that it's in there. Yeah. But of course... Yeah, it's weird. But of course, we're looking at this, John, with 21st century eyes yep. and ni- yep. 1971 eyes. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, totally agreed. You totally, know? totally, totally agreed. And and the thing is, is that there, honestly, there are even hypotheses uh, that support the idea that um, UFOs in the past might have looked corny intentionally, okay? <laughs> as crazy as that might sound to some people, but look at it this way. If you subscribe to the hypothesis that there is some core fundamental um, field or energy source of somewhat that is basically projecting all of these different types of objects, whether it be a UFO or whatever, then essentially um, what they're projecting is what they think we're expecting to see. So as a result of that, UFOs of the past should look kind of hokey to us, right? In a weird way. I mean, it's, it's bizarre, but if you think about that hypothesis, it actually lends credence to the idea that, you know, older UFOs would actually look older. Or, you know what I find a little bit intriguing about that is how we've gone in stages with UFOs from flying discs to what we're seeing now, which are cube shape, pyramid shape, triangles. You don't hear a lot or the TikTok, TikToks, Tic Tacs. I know no Doritos, no anything. I know. Um, 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 But the thing is, is it, is it, that's you're not at the beginning, right? In that, uh, you know, you go back and you, you know, and, and if any of you haven't read this yet, should feel very bad about yourselves. Uh, John Keel's books, right? He tells you the stories in the 1800s, airships, right? There, there's yeah. a case of something flying over London that not only looked like a flying ship, like like something out of freaking Peter Pan, but the, the anchor, quote unquote, that was hanging from the ship, you know, because a ship has to have an anchor, even if it's a flying ship, caught on someone's chimney, and damage the chimney. Right. Right. Blah, blah, blah. What is that? And for centuries, right? like people were seeing, John, 
those those like ships that had oars some of them even had reports of oars sticking out of the side that were moving as it was flying i can almost promise you that 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 there was there were vikings that saw rowing you know i mean and the thing is and the thing that's so frustrating about this is that if you've been studying this if you've been taking the as as desperate of a scientific approach to studying this as you possibly can you you start getting to some some very difficult hypotheses but the problem is is that none of it means that anything isn't real and none of it none of it means that anything is real and that's what's so frustrating about it, is that everyone wants this definitive answer but the truth of the matter is is that you know if like okay, let's say for example that um that all um uh, just ufo's are projected from an orb right uh now they're projected from something now are they projected from us well, where did we see it from so my point is is that are all projections a clone of an original well or are any projections original themselves well john we're gonna continue on with the unbiased ufo report thank you for your analysis on that and we'll talk to you right after the break here as we'll get into the hearings. People are getting geared up for UFO Talk next week. All right, buddy, we're clear. That was a good start, man. Solid start. It's trippy. You're trippy. You know, one thing that I uh, thought might happen, but I wasn't confident enough to predict, um, is that um, right before, like, grand focal points happen, where people think that there's going to be grand decisions made, there'll be certain groups right before it that will get so nervous Mm -hmm. and so anxious that they can't handle it anymore. And they'll make a decision because they want to preempt the event. They want to be the ones that said right before the event, we knew what we were doing, we knew the answers. And historically, this strategy almost never pays out. <laughs> I mean, almost never. Um, the one exception is if you're Microsoft and then you can do it afterwards and you throw so much money at it, it doesn't matter. So um, one second, what's up, We oh, no, okay, yeah. You need some? We need. We need. Me? I don't understand. What do you need? I'm, I know I'm on the radio right now. I'm trying to find out what you need. Oh, you want me to pause it? I'm sorry. I apologize. Here, hold on a sec. Like trying to figure out why she wasn't talking. I'm like, what's wrong with you? 
What's your voice? She's so cute. Didn't want to speak until I muted it. <laughs> My son's like that, too. That's awesome. Cracks me up. Can she hear me? No, no, I got a headphone in. Oh. No, I didn't. I didn't make it to Legoland. It was um, someone else was going to Legoland. Grantavius is in yeah, Legoland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I haven't been yet myself. I've never been there either. I I have to admit, I, I'm I'm a little afraid to go. Why? Ad- addiction. I'm a little afraid I won't leave. Yeah, I think we're all like that. I I used to spend. Like I would, I would, I would literally like, you know, three o'clock getting home until midnight. And then the next day do the same thing on like one Lego project for like days on days and days on end. I even had a whole QA process for ships. They had to be able to sustain falls from certain heights over certain materials with certain hardnesses. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. What's good is a Lego ship if it falls apart, right? True. Did so you, over grass, it has to be able to land over a certain height. And did you ever, over, you know, you got to be reasonable. Did you ever glue yours? Oh, God, no. It's criminal. I know people who did that. If, if, look, I, I, I'm going to say something that's very judgmental. It's not fair, but I'm going to say this. People that glue their Legos are afraid of their own imaginations. Very true. And it's the last thing in the world you should be afraid of. If anything is there for you, it's your imagination. Well, you ready uh, to drop the gloves here on uh, this portion? Yeah, yeah, but you, you didn't. You didn't want to talk about uh, the the all the basically everyone calling their bets. Like on, you know, like, I mean, this whole like Stephen Green Street thing. I mean, basically you had a, you have a bunch of people calling their bets, you know, five days early, hoping to, to cash in and kind of entertaining, don't you think? Well, it's good to it. It's all part and parcel. That's true. It is. You're, no, you're right on that one. Big thank you to Smithy D. Cohen. Shelly, Cat Chaser, and Angel for the amazing Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate your love and support of SOR. And uh, we're going to get going here in 10 seconds. home on Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate it. want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you 
including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with the unbiased UFO report. The fedora-wearing John Hudson is here with us. And John, we are just hours away from the UFO report coming on in, and there's a lot of speculation through the weekend and the previous week that we are what we're going to get through all of this. What do you think is going to go on? And what's the atmosphere like in UFO Twitter land? Well, what's kind of surprising is the number of, of stories that are actually breaking. Like I was kind of expecting the normal situation where there's an absolute vacuum of information for the you know 72 to whatever hours beforehand. And in that period... Your business depends on protecting your sensitive data, but your data is everywhere. Introducing Sky High Security. We extend security beyond data access to data use. Protecting your data anywhere you do business. Sky High Security. Your happiest spring starts with Lowe's. Shop now for your favorite brands and everything you need to spruce up your home, lawn, and garden. Like top-selling riding mowers from John Deere, self-propelled mowers from Honda, and customizable storage solutions from ClosetMade. Roll out that new mower, bring out that spring wardrobe, and bring on spring. Shop in-store, online, or through our app today. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. At the time people panic and start making stuff up out of nowhere and convincing people of it, it's weird. Um, what happened this time, which is different, is that um, you've seen a bunch of stories breaking. And so, um, for example, um, uh, you know, uh, one of them is that essentially... Uh, Christopher Mellon, who, um, you know, most of you, most of you are aware of, and if not, he uh, served with distinction in in the U.S. government and uh, was part of TTSA. And, um, you know, he basically wrote this um, fantastic, um, this fantastic article uh, where he basically lays out exactly what sort of questions that he wants asked at the hearing. And uh, and he listed as a draft, and he he encourages um, input, and um, and you know a, a, I mean there's nothing in it that um, that jumps out as me as um, well that's not true. I was a little surprised at his um, aggression toward the U.S. Air Force. Um, some of the language toward the U.S. Air Force was was a bit more terse than I would expect. Um, but if, if Christopher Mellon is talking like that, it means he's really, really mad because that guy's in massive control of his emotions. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's fantastic, but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, you know, these become trigger points for, for all these sort of events. So we have supportive things coming out like that. We also have a lot of people just writing about the, the briefings that wouldn't necessarily be writing about the topic. Like, for example, Bloomberg. Like, I wouldn't normally expect Bloomberg to be running an article about UFOs, but they are running an article about UFOs in the polit- uh, polit- uh, political section, uh, talking about the fact that the, um, the, the chair of the first UFO hearing uh, since 1960 uh, was quoted as saying, someone has to do it. Someone. Why, you know, got to love that motivation, right? 
I, I think Chris Mellon's article could have couldn't have come out at a better time. I really yes. do like the idea that he is out there and he continues to push. You know, for so many months, it seems like Mellon went into the dark and everything was on Luis Elizondo's shoulders. So it's nice to see Mellon kind of, you know, getting ready for the game, throwing a few body checks and and starting to stir it up a little bit before the big event. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and the thing is, is that, um, and I, oh man, and that, that's the other problem, is that you're, you're going to have... Um, a certain number of look the, the problem is is that one of the things you have to do is try to separate the organic actions from the um, um, uh, structured actions right um, you know meaning that it is someone taking advantage of a process and trying to uh, exaggerate something or are they actually trying to get something to happen completely artificially versus a more organic thing like for example um, Bloomberg writing about the fact that there is going to be hearings in their political section, that caught me a little bit off guard, but when you think about it, eh, kind of makes sense, right? Um, you know, the, um, the thing that Chris wrote, uh, Chris Mellon wrote, that to me was, um, was a little more surprising, but that was fantastic in that essentially, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, she could have provided, uh, almost as much value by writing a bad document. Um, because essentially by putting a document out there with a good framework, even if it's not um, uh, properly flushed out the way, the way you think it would, uh, it's amazing how that encourages people to jump in and start filling out proper information. It's actually a, a really good tool to use for people. So, um, you know, uh, I, but the challenge is, is, yes, you could absolutely have people that are um, either have been planning for a long time to somehow take advantage of this in some way, or there are people that are trying to move other legislation or move other things that and now see this as a, a new a new pawn in their in their little game. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there, that's a problem. Is that we are, we are now we have now jumped into a, like one of the most shark infested bodies of water that currently exists on Earth, and there are a lot of influences there that most of us are not aware of. And so, um, so, so, you know, so, so, you know, it, it, it uh, the point is, is that there is, if, if you, if you care about the shades of gray, okay, then there is a plethora of, um, information for you to absorb. And there is a, there is more than that. There, there is a, an absolute avalanche of data for you to chew on. If you do not like shades of gray, if you like black and white, if you like Boolean, if you like definite answers, if you like finite decisions, then unfortunately, I don't think you're going to get much happiness out of the next couple of days that you've gotten over the last couple of days and that you're really likely to get any in the near future. Because um, while this has been encouraging a lot of people to come out, like, for example, um, you know, um, we do know the person who is heading up the, the briefing. Uh, um, the, the hearing. We do know um, who, I'm not quite sure if I can say their names yet, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm refraining from, but we know um, two of the people that will be um, actually presenting at the hearing. Um, the, the, the names and, and pictures of those have leaked out um, to certain uh, media outlets. So, so we're actually getting a fair amount of information where, you know, I think there's a really good chance that by 
Tuesday morning, we're already all going to have a pretty good idea as to who's going to be there, who's going to be talking, who's going to be asking questions. And we might even have some ideas to what kind of questions we're going to ask. Right. And let's face it. That's the other thing is that these hearings weren't just invented for UFOs. Right. I mean, th this whole process is um, incredibly um, uh, built into Congress and it is something that happens automatically. And so it is something that's going to happen however, however, you know, however we feel about it. Right. I mean, they're going to it, you know, Congress is going to do its thing no matter what we do. Right. So, um, you know, it um, it you know, it just like I said, it's going to get extremely frustrating as if it's not already for anyone that wants anything like, you know, super solid. However, if you enjoy the nuance, I mean, like you said, Chris Mellon's article is fantastic. I mean, he brings up a lot of really interesting points. I mean, you could, you could, you could use his document, um, forget it, forget it as a, as a, as a questionnaire for a hearing. You could use it as a fantastic um, a skeleton for, um, for a, a, a one hell of a panel. Right. I mean, you know, there's some really good information in there. Right. And some really thoughtful topics and so forth. So um, so, you know, I think that if if essentially. If people use this as a catalyst, if people use this as a motivational tool, if people use this as a scheduling convenience of, you know, well, if I was going to release this information in the next three weeks, I might as well release it, you know, that week because all this other stuff like that, you know, that kind of stuff happens. That more the better. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, I. You know, I, I just, I don't, um, I guess my challenge is, is that to me, if, if you want data that's going to really move uh, the needle, right, then you have to first ask not what data is available. You have to first ask what data is required, right? And you essentially have to go to people and ask them, like, what, what is your threshold? What is your threshold, right? And, and so you start doing this and you start realizing that, um, hey, there is nothing. There, there is no, there is no data set. There is no film. There is no anything that is going to convince ninety percent of the people of anything, right? Um, you know, you, 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 you might, if you get lucky, get forty-five percent or something like that, right? Um, and so that's, I think that's what makes it very uh, infuriating for people. But if you like the nuance of it, boy, man, you can eat and eat and eat and eat. And eat fantastic well let's face it here i mean if the names have leaked out there who's going to be speaking i'm going to put some pressure on you here who are those names uh uh well um see they've um i um figured that you would do that so um i intentionally didn't include them in my notes <laughs> oh. um um but um i i do have um uh um the uh, it, it'll be science, you know, because I don't think we mentioned this before. Um, we did find out it'll be science and intelligence offer Sean Kirkpatrick, um, PhD, who's been picked to, to head the new um, uh, A O uh, A O I M S G A O I M S G. I think of food, um, it's very hard for me. Um, and I'm usually really good with acronyms too. I mean, I come from a world that did PCMCIA, right? So, you know. Please. Um, I'm going to get you to move your uh, microphone up a bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, um, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, um, uh, U.S. Space Command, um, will be um, will be basically heading up this organization. So 
um, you know, and like I said before, we did find out um, from Bloomberg today that um, it, uh, where's the guy's name? Um, uh, Representative um, uh, Andre Carson, an Indiana Democrat, um, uh, will essentially be, you know, um, heading up the panel on Tuesday. So we are, you know, we are slowly. And so I guess my point is, is that like one of the weird things about this topic is, is that when it starts breaching, like broaching into other areas, what you don't know is, is are all the normal systems that exist in that world going to trigger? Or is there something weird about us, right? That's going to, they're going to choke on it and the right systems are not going to trigger, right? And that's one thing you just don't know. And so if essentially all the right things trigger for a hearing, things that should trigger independent of what kind of hearing it is, then um, this is the kind of information we should be getting. And we actually should get a lot more, right? Um, we should get a lot more. Um, but, um, you know, if, um, you know, if, you know, I guess my point is, is that, you know, if we have a, a problem where like you have a bunch of people that are expecting an, an incredible, you know, like just, you know, nail down, um, you know, I mean, this is part of the problem we're having right now that, that, that I mentioned um, briefly before is that, when you get starting to get close to a deadline like this, you're going to have all these people that are going to start hedging their bets and they're going to start, um, you know, making preemptive decisions. Right. And so you have people like, um, you know, you have people like Stephen Greenstreet and so forth doing these um, these videos where they're they're basically deciding, you know, on the data they have, hey, I'm going to determine that this is false or this is true or this is BS or this is not BS. And they're, you know, essentially calling their bets now. And that's one of the things that, that is the people get driven to do as a result of all of the, um, you know, all the emotion and anxiety wrapped around this Tuesday event. Well, it's going to be very interesting, John, to see how this all plays out, because for many of us, we're all wondering what the answer is going to be. What is success in the eyes of Chris Mellon or the eyes of others who you've talked to for Tuesday? Yeah, to me, like, this is, this is something that, that honestly, I've been struggling with myself in that I no longer have a clear vision of what the goal is, right? Because of the fact that, you know, this is so this is seeming to become so personal for people and there doesn't seem to be these grand you know global acknowledgments or grand global realizations and so you know for me what i would want to see is i would want to see something equivalent to um um a a a, a true up right what i what, what i would want to see is i would want to see that at the end of the panel there's a there's a minimum number of things that they all agree on moving forward and those can be very minimal those can be you know there is a you know an outbound intelligence right we don't know the source of the intelligence we don't believe the source of the intelligence is our adversaries right i mean it, you know it might be something that simple it might be something more dramatic but we need to get everyone to we we need a we need a foundation. We need a we need a, a a a base floor to start with, right? And and right now, 
it's one of the reasons why you know in the very language of the of the hearing is talking about the stigma having to be removed i mean they're you know they're basically having a panel about you know just removing the stigma to have a panel when you really look at it well i think success would be and i think i'm asking too much here john success would be at a minimum that they officially confirm that any of these craft that are being seen in military air bases or around nuclear facilities, because I don't think we're going to get over major cities to quell the public, I think it would be a huge win for the UFO community if they came out and said, we 100% know these craft are not from Earth. I think that's where it starts. The, the problem, Dave, is you can't know that. Like you can't know that for sure. You you can be you can be pretty sure, but you can't you all, all you can you can it's it's incredibly hard to prove something like that. I mean, well, I of know anything. That. I know that of anything. Like let it be anything, right? I mean, um, it's. Um, I think the I think the the best chance we have of that happening is what um, what uh, Gary Nolan's doing. Well, it's going to be the isotopic ratios. I think that I think I think that's the only going to be the only way to prove that it's off world. We are going to see, my friend. We are going to see a great unbiased UFO report from the fedora wearing John Hudson. Well, thank you, John, okay. and I know you'll be back to talk more about this. Very, very soon. We'll talk to you then, buddy. Yep, yep. All right. Yes, Let's get to Shirky Poo's news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's news. Yes, yeah, Shirky Poo delivering the goods tonight for all of us. Let's start off here. A woman has revealed that she put her boyfriend's dog down without him knowing then got kicked out of the house after he found out. Sharing her experience on Reddit, the anonymous woman came at the whole thing from a human side, saying that she absolutely loved the dog, but that it was suffering too badly and had no quality of life. It's a sad fact of life that humans often outlive their beloved pets, but there does come a point where, in many special human-animal relationships, a tough decision has to be made. On this occasion, the woman had noticed that the dog was suffering and decided to take the executive decision to put it down, but it didn't go as far as to tell her significant other. The 16-year-old dog had been through enough, and according to her, her boyfriend was ignoring the problem. She explained, I love this dog beyond words. Let me make that absolutely clear. He was an absolute gift to the world, and I love him unconditionally. The dog was age 16 and had countless medical problems, rotated front legs, which prevented him from getting up, jumping up, being moved, just completely unable to walk, among other things. This dog was in constant agony. Every time the dog tried to get up, he would be screaming in pain. There was nothing the vets could do. It sounds heartbreaking, and the vets told them the best course of action would be to put the dog down. So she gathered the family, with one exception, so they could say goodbye. She continued, I thought about it for a week and decided that I had to. The dog was suffering so much, quality of life just wasn't there. 
So me, my boyfriend went out on Friday with some of his mates. I called him to let him know I was putting the dog down. I had the dog put down at home with his family. I was sick of watching my boyfriend dismiss the pain of the dog. And he ignored the vets, telling him it was time. After she told her boyfriend that the vets were coming around, he rushed back to the house, but arrived tragically late. Girlfriend said, I wish my boyfriend was there to say goodbye to his best friend, but he wouldn't have let me go through with it. He rushed home, saw his dead dog, packed up all his stuff, and left. Yeah. Or the girl had to leave. He packed up all her stuff, pardon me. She's been living with her dad the last few weeks. Wow. What do you do about that? What do you do about that? On one hand, the dog was suffering that bad. She probably made the right decision, but it's his dog. Oh, all right. It's blunderful and it's marvelous. A burger expert for a United States restaurant chain, Friday, says we should be eating burgers upside down. Friday's Flip It Challenge said on their Instagram account, according to our experts, the best way to eat a burger is flip it upside down. The thicker top of the bun soaks up the burger's juices, helping keep that flavor in for longer. Hmm, that's something to try. Yeah. Well, we're pretty much out of time. So we're going to say good night to each and every one of you. Thank you to Shirky Poo for the news tonight. It was high quality as per usual, Shirky Poo. What time is it? Yeah, it's time for Shirky Poo's news. Thank you to the fedora wearing John Hudson for the unbiased UFO report. Big thank you to Mr. Swamp Dweller for coming on in with another spooky story. And of course, the guys from Bedtime Stories with some great insight to their highly successful YouTube channel. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAB, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us, because together, my friends, we own the night, Mr. Bumblefoot. We need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo Train has docked for the night. But soon, my friend, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. It's time to recognize you, you sausage-loving genius. For without you, how would we know that Eckridge smoked sausage can be eaten thrice in one day and that you can take your lunch break before noon? Mm-hmm. Here's to you, Eckridge smoked sausage. You do you. 
Hi, this is Amanda DeCadene from VS Voices. Victoria's Secret and I are committed to sharing the stories of trailblazing individuals, giving them a platform and amplifying their voices. Listen to my conversations with Haley Bieber, Naomi Osaka, Bella Hadid, Megan Rapino, Stella McCartney, and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Racism is so deep-seated in human nature, and it's not just in America, and it's not just within black, white, brown, or the various races around the world. Racism and colorism and favoritism and just basically, you know, taking away opportunity because of a like or a belief from another human. Season two of VS Voices is coming soon to iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you choose to listen. Season one is available now. And I hope you'll follow me on social media at Amanda Decadene to talk about the episodes.